Welcome to A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me is my comic book brother from another mother, Herman Lowe. How are you, buddy? <laughs> hey, Billy. Yeah, man. It's uh, good to be back uh, in front of the mic, podcasting with you yet again, talking uh, our favorite DC team. I can safely, I, I think we can safely say this is one of our favorite DC teams now, if not the favorite. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big JLA fan, but the All-Star Squadron, you know, on our reread, and now that we're doing all of a podcast about it, it's it's. I think it's become my favorite team. What about you? Uh, for sure. And let's be honest, with today's material, even if they're only like in your top two or three, if the JSA and JLA are up there too, you're you've got it all here. You're, this is going to be a a fantasy gone wild here. <laughs> That's right. I mean, the Justice Society JLA. Uh, team-ups are pretty well known you know I mean even before 1982 of course uh, they've been doing it for a while but this one's particularly special because it's got three teams you know now the newly minted all-star squadron is joining the fray you know so it's not just the JSA and the JLA this time around mm -hmm. so um you know, before we get into it, though, uh, we should mention to the listeners specifically what we're going to be talking about chronologically, you know, as the All-Star Squadron issues were, were published. After the first annual, um, they headed straight into this crossover, right, Billy? So mm -hmm. this was a pretty monumental crossover. I think it was the biggest one ever, uh, the longest running one ever between the JSA and the JLA because it had five issues, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So, yeah, since there wasn't a... There wasn't a, a JSA title running at the time. I mean, technically, the All-Star Squadron was the JSA. At the time, they thought, you know, rather than just do it in the in the JLA, which they usually did, um, they would do it in the JLA and in All-Star Squadron and, and boost sales of, uh, you know, the, the ass <laughs> title as well. <laughs> you know, so I, I think it worked. It was uh, very popular with the fans, at least. Uh, you know, as the letter column suggested later on. And um, it's one of my favorite crossovers. Like, what do you think about it? Yeah, it's really, really good. Like you said, five parts, three teams uh, going through two titles. And the JLA, you know, title was going pretty good at this point with uh, its creators. And All-Star Squadron, to me, was going really strong. So, yeah, you could not go wrong with this one. These three teams uh, just... Excellent, excellent comic books here. And like I said, the creators that were involved were top-notch at DC at the time. So you knew you were going to get something good here. And then, like I said, you throw in those annual team-ups between JSA and JLA. So, yeah, those were always a good time. Yeah, we can talk a little bit about that. I, I was um, up for discussing those, uh, what they would call those crisis, um, you know, on multiple Earths kind of team-ups. Uh, ever since I started, you know, collecting the trades, because I, I hardly mm -hmm. ever, I, I don't have any uh, old Silver Age J, uh, JLA issues, you know, in my collection, right, Billy? I've got the mm -hmm. the DC Omnibus, um, you know, collecting the the first Omnibus, collecting the early the early JLA material. But you mm -hmm. know, I don't own a lot of that time. So you know, I picked up a lot of the trade paperbacks when they came out, called Crisis on Multiple Earths, and mm. uh, this storyline specifically which ran in 1982, is, of course, called Crisis on Earth Prime. So it's got a connection there with our <laughs> Earth Prime archive. Um, but I should mention this, and this is, of course, the Earth Prime from the DC Universe. You know, obviously, this is not our 
actual Earth, <laughs> which I'm gonna I'm gonna include <laughs> a segment again today, even though there's a crossover. I'm gonna do the historical segment as well. But um, you know, uh, basically, I think it started in 1963, right? Specifically, August of yeah. 1963. This these team ups between the JLA and the JSA. Um, and the very first story uh, was called Crisis on Earth One. And, uh, you know, I, Mike Sikowski, he was drawing uh, every, everything at that point in time, JLA related, and he had to draw a lot of characters. He was basically like the Silver Age George Perez, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And we're going to get a lot of Perez goodness um, in these five issues that we're going to be talking about because he's doing uh, three of the covers. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And then we've got Joe Kubert on the two All-Star Squadron covers. Obviously, Perez mm -hmm. did the JLA covers. Yeah. So this is going to be some some good times here. Um, obviously, this crossover includes... It starts with JLA 207, and then mm -hmm. All-Star Squadron 14, and then continues in JLA 208, All-Star Squadron 15, and finally wraps up in JLA 209. Now, Billy, we've mm -hmm. separated this into two parts, right? You're going to be uh, providing this, the specs and the synopsis for JLA 207 and All-Star Squadron 14. And then mm -hmm. I'll handle uh, that for JLA 208, All-Star 15, and JLA 209. And then that mm -hmm. way we'll kind of streamline it. But even though we're doing it that way, this is going to be a long episode, folks. <laughs> right, Billy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you figure we're rolling through five issues. So five issues of content, five different covers, and basically two different sets of creators, even though these uh, two sets of creators were all brainstorming with this. Um, as you can see, when you look at each of the interior credit pages, they always say, you know, writer so-and-so and then plot assist so-and-so. So it was, you know, uh, it was a, a crossover event that had uh, multiple hands in the pot. So it's a multiple crisis and multiple hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, Jerry Conway would be doing the writing duties for for. Justice League at this time, and of course Roy mm -hmm. over at uh, All Star Squadron. But I think Roy uh, provided the overall plot, you know. Uh, and then uh, there yeah. was some nice overlap between these issues. Like uh, just to give mm -hmm. you one little fact to tease you before we get into it, listeners. Um, in the JLA series, Zatanna had recently been elected uh, chairwoman, you know, of the JLA. And over at mm -hmm. uh, in in All Star Squadron, Liberty Bell had assumed that role. So you know mm -hmm. that happened concurrently, roughly at the same time, in their respective comic books. But you know Roy um, was unaware of that until he had to you know um, come together with Jerry, you know, and then start to to brainstorm this storyline. And then they were you know pleasantly surprised to find that oh okay we've got these two female chairwomen who were recently elected. You know, so that that would be a thing in this mm -hmm. crossover, this uh, Crisis on Earth Prime. Mm -hmm. And then uh, before we get into the specs and the synopsis, but we also need to mention that a huge crossover need a huge cast of villains as well. Now, this is not a, a huge cast. You know, in previous crossovers, they had faced, for instance, the I think the Secret Society of Supervillains or, you know, the, the Injustice Gang of America. This time around, though, an old villain makes a return. In fact, the very mm -hmm. first villain, the All-Star Squadron, had faced as a team way back in the Justice League um, special in Justice League 193, right? Billy, uh, Billy who's mm -hmm. he? <laughs> uh, that is Per Degaton. <laughs> That's right. He's back. 
and uh, it makes sense because you know he's got the capabilities to to leapfrog between different eras and uh, apparently in this storyline also between different dimensions <laughs> which makes it you know <laughs> ideal to to use that as a plot device to get the JSA and the JLA to cross over with each other normally they use the matter transducer uh, or or what is it called right Billy the the machine the, yeah the matter the trans matter transmatter machine oh yeah yeah the transmatter <laughs> trans machine, machine that they've got set up um, you know in the JLA satellite and then uh, also in the in the Justice Society uh, headquarters in 1982 we should say right Billy because uh, mm -hmm. after all when they have team ups. It's not necessarily with the Justice Society from the past. It's with it's with the old guard, the Justice Society mm -hmm. from from the eighties or from whatever era you know coincides with the the era on Earth One. You know, it's mm -hmm. the same uh, time in Earth Two. So you know, Starman's a little bit older. Well, we should say a lot older, right? Forty years yeah. older, and Hulkman <laughs> yeah. and Doctor Fate. But apparently, you know, that's explained away. Doctor Fate's helmet keeps him uh, young-ish, and <laughs> Hulkman and <laughs> Um, Starman and the rest of the JSA were, you know, be, due to some shenanigans by Ian Carcool, you know, an old villain of theirs, they had managed to resist the effects of time better than most. <laughs> so all of that. So that explains why they're still fighting fit, you know, um, to compete with the, the JLA. Um, so, you know, mm -hmm. that, that's all of that. But, you know, this is uh, some nice synchronicity here, right, Billy? Because if you think about mm -hmm. it, the three we're going to be dealing with three eras and also three mm -hmm. different Earths, parallel Earths in this storyline. Yeah. So it's, it's Earth 1 in 1982, and then it's uh, Earth 2, of course. We're going to be jumping around between Earth 2, 1982, and 1942. And then it's also Earth Prime. And in Earth Prime, we're going to be jumping around from 1962, the time of the Cuban mm -hmm. Missile Crisis, another crisis <laughs> there for you, DC. And then also between, you know, 1982, which is seemingly uh, an, a nuclear wasteland, you know. So mm -hmm. um, it's going to be very interesting. Three eras, three different teams, and three different parallel Earths. And uh, then, Billy, that's not all. Like I mentioned, you know, uh, there's... One villain is simply not enough, right? No. Now, this time around, they don't have the secret society of supervillains or anything like that. Who do they have? <laughs> uh, we have the crime syndicate, which is really super cool because, honestly, before I had read uh, many comics about them, the first, not the first time, but one of the earliest times I had heard about them and watched anything about them was the one... Um, I don't know if Bruce Tim and those guys were still doing it. Maybe it was someone else, but there was an animated uh, Justice League movie, like Crisis on Multiple Earths or Two Worlds or something. I don't know what the heck it was even called, but the crime syndicate was the big villain of that one. Mm, I, rem I remember that one, yeah. Yeah, and that was pretty good, too. They, that was really good. Although I will say <clears throat> the Owl Man of the comics is not on par with the Owl Man of of that animated movie because that guy was, you know, slapping Batman around like he was a child and this Owlman's not quite that tough. Yeah, so. I remember um, he's, he was voiced by James Woods. who's <laughs> become quite a reviled figure for because of his, his, his extreme oh, political yeah. leanings. But, you know, I, I remember that one. Uh, it was... Mm -hmm. I, I only saw it once, right, Billy, I think. Mm -hmm. Um 
I, I don't know if it's, I think it might be available on, you know, if, if there's any, if there are any HBO subscribers or maybe you just own yeah. the DVD, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that's, that was a pretty good one. I, th- I think they, they made Ultraman out to be some kind of a, an Italian mob boss type, <laughs> you know, he even spoke, <laughs> you know, with this, this mob boss uh, patois. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. He was, he was kind of a knucklehead, but it's funny in that you get the impression like he was the, the tough guy the leader of the the crime syndicate but in the comics it's more i would say it's more superwoman than it is him she seems to be more of the boss yeah uh, yeah 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 she's she's very she doesn't take a back seat to ultraman in fact ultraman does no. not seem to be the brains of the operation at all it's more uh, well apparently it's owlman because he he does mm-hmm. have a super brain so unlike yeah. Batman, he actually has a superpower, but you hardly ever see him use his super brain, um, other than you know quickly cobbling together stuff and uh, figuring out how to fly the JLA experimental, uh, you know, spacecraft. That's all he does. He doesn't really do a lot of planning and strategy here. Um, no. Maybe you know, but they don't directly use a his little. super brain. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, think a little if, bit. yeah a little bit, but um, yeah, you're right in that um, you know cartoon. Um, well, the animated movie that there was a scene there where he wanted to blow up all realities, right? And he mm-hmm. took out Batman in a fight, but Batman eventually won, you know, because Batman appeared, well, apparently was smarter than him there. So mm-hmm. a great, great, uh, you know, kind of re- uh, interpretation of this team, this mm-hmm. crime syndicate. They've always been one of my favorites. Yeah. And in fact, mm-hmm. Billy, the very first time that I encountered them was through you know, this crossover. But but I must mm. admit, you know, when I was a kid, I did not uh, have the complete crossover at hand to read. So I was kind of, you know, bummed out. This was one of the first times as a, as a little kid picking up comics, you know, off the, off the stands where I wanted to pull my hair out of my scalp because I couldn't get the entire <laughs> story. You know, I think yeah. my, my very first uh, issue here was, yeah, it was JLA 207. And then I got my hands on, on, on All-Star Squadron uh, 14, but then I couldn't get my hands on the rest. And, and then I got my hands, yeah. obviously, on All-Star Squadron uh, 15. And then, you know, I'd missed uh, a whole <laughs> chunk of the story from JLA 208. So I was very, very upset. But this was my first encounter with this team, you know, the crime mm-hmm. syndicate. And, and let's quickly run through them for the listeners. They consist of... Mm-hmm. A Superman analog, a Wonder Woman analog, a Flash analog, a Green Lantern analog, and a Batman analog, right, Billy? So the mm-hmm. who is the Superman analog? Yeah, that's Ultraman, which he's, you know, visually he reminds you of Superman, but he's kind of a meathead. He's not, like, real smart. Like, sometimes Superman can get, you know, use his brain to, like, figure things out, and he, he's a little bit smarter. Uh, not super smart, but just a little bit smarter than your average bear. But Ultraman's kind of a meathead. He's just kind of like, I'm going to break off this steel girder and swing it at you and hit you like a baseball. Yeah, exactly. And he's also got a slightly different, you know, uh, origin. Apparently, his Krypton never exploded. Um, but he did end up on Earth in any case. And then also he's got um, no weakness other than the fact that if he does not if he's not exposed to kryptonite on a regular basis he sort of uh you know his powers become weaker in fact kryptonite empowers him you know in in, at one point in time he grabs a chunk during the storyline and says it's like mother's milk to me (laughs) (laughs) 
So, yep. you know, um, and uh, then, of course, Superwoman, she's got a variety of powers that uh, Wonder Woman doesn't have. At this point in time, in, in Earth-1, the Wonder Woman of Earth-1 can, can glide on air currents, but Superwoman seems to be able to fly with the best mm. of them. And she's also got a magic lasso that can alter its shape. <laughs> you know, I remember in the <laughs> their very first appearance, what was it, Billy, JLA... Uh, 29 and I think and 30 um, you know which I read on uh, the DC app I think it was or it might have been comiXology but it was a while back already Um, she you know uh, manipulated her lariat into transforming into a dragon to fight Wonder Woman in (laughs) (laughs) midair that's great so that's that's an interesting power and she's seemingly as strong as Superman Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because she takes him out here in the very first issue of the crossover mm-hmm. with one oh, punch, yeah. <laughs> one punch, which <laughs> seems to be a thing yep. in DC, you know, one mm-hmm. punch. And then, you know, you've got Power Ring. He's basically just a typical a Hal Jordan clone, but just an evil clone of mm-hmm. Hal Jordan. But he's also cowardly, right, Billy, where Hal Jordan yeah. seems to be, you know, fearless, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got Johnny Quick. Um, who's I mean, there's not much difference between him and the Flash, um, other than of course that he's evil. But I liked his in the I the way they interpreted him in the Crisis on um, Earth One car, uh, animated film, where he was like a drug addict or something, right? Yeah, he I, was a goofball. Yeah, he was like a real like like I'm trying to think of how they described it. Like they didn't get too much into it because I don't think they were trying to be too kid friendly because. You know, that was when some of the DC animated movies started moving into a slightly more mature thing where they'd, you know, I don't want to say use foul language too much, but they'd use like, you know, damn it or something like that they'd say in them. So they didn't really go full on with anything too heavy with him. But yeah, he was definitely a a shady character. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But, um, you know, I like the, the reinterpretation of characters like these. You know, they, they're never the mm-hmm. same when they appear. I mean, there's also, I think, Grant Morrison, you know, in his JLA run from the 1990s, he and Frank Quietly, they did a, um, you know, a run in JLA where they had the, you know, the, the crime syndicate show up. Wow, that was pretty good, too. And they were all different then as well. Yeah. So, cool. you know, long story short, we love this team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, not yeah. because of the reprehensible, you know, acts that they're known for, but because uh, they're great antagonists, you know, uh, mirror images of the Justice League's most powerful members, but, you know, um, obviously evil. So, mm-hmm. you know, this this makes for some great storytelling. So, Billy, to get into it, um, let's start off with you first. You're going to give us the specs for uh, JLA 207 and All-Star 14 and then the synopsis. Uh, well, mm-hmm. let's first do the specs. Um, you go first, yeah. and then I'll do the specs for mine. Okay, so yeah, writer Jerry Conway, and this is JLA 207, 1982. It's writer Jerry Conway, uh, pencils Don Heck, inks Romeo Tangal, uh, letters Ben Oda, and colors by Carl Gafford and Len Wein editing. Um, that's part one, and then All-Star Squadron 14, which is part two. You get Roy Thomas, writer, Adrian Gonzalez, and Jerry Ordway on art, you know, the same team we've had for a while now here. And Ben Oda again on letters and Carl Gafford colors, Len Wein editing. That's right. And for part three mm-hmm. uh, in JLA 208, um, which was published in on August the 5th of 1982, uh, cover dated November 1982, though, you've got writers Jerry Conway again penciled by Don Heck, 
inked by Sal Trapani, and uh, Carl Gafford on colors, Phil Felix on letters, and then mm-hmm. edited by Lynn Wing, of course. And then part four uh, from All-Star Squadron 15, which was cover dated November 1982, but published on August 26th, 1982. You've got writers Roy Thomas again, Adrian Gonzalez penciling, inked by Jerry Ordway, colored by Carl Gafford, John Constanza on letters, and Len Wein again, the editor. And finally, the, f- the fifth and final part of this story is in Justice League of America 209, um, which had a cover date of December 1982. Um, so it, it all wrapped up in 1982, just like the story did, right, Billy? <laughs> um, yeah. And then, of course, again, written by Jerry Conway with Don Heck penciling, inked by Don Heck this time around. He inked himself mm-hmm. there. Colored by Carl Gafford and lettered ben, by Ben Oda, edited by Len mm-hmm. Wein. Yeah, so those are the specs for you listeners. Now, mm-hmm. Billy, you're going to give part one um, mm-hmm. of this uh, crossover synopsis with JLA 207 mm-hmm. and All-Star Squadron 14. Mm-hmm. Okay, so our story begins on Earth 2 as the JSA is getting ready for the annual get-together with the JLA. Over on Earth 1, the JLA is doing the same. As the transmatter machine begins to activate, the JLA is taken off guard as the crime syndicate comes through the portal instead of the JSA. Then, Superwoman punches Superman into orbit while Owlman takes out Hawkman. Power Ring and Ultraman take down Firestorm and Zatanna with ease. Then Johnny Quick knocks out Aquaman. Now in control of the satellite, they steal a ship and head to Earth. Meanwhile, the JSA is trapped in an interdimensional prison the crime syndicate was in previously. Dr. Fate then encapsulates the last time they cross paths with the crime syndicate. They manage to break out, but upon arriving on Earth-1, they see it's been devastated by a nuclear war. Next, the JLA finally regroups and decides they must go to Earth-2 and help the JSA. They enter the transmatter machine, but are shocked to find that the JSA headquarters is abandoned and the populace is now under the control of Degaton. The JLA figures out something happened back in 1942 and they must travel back in time to make it right again. As they make it back, they arrive at JSA HQ before Degaton was able to enact his plans. Before they can try to make a game plan, though, the door swings open and none other than the All-Star Squadron walks in. That's the end of part one. And part two is the next chapter begins with the All-Star Squadron in a gladiatorial arena saluting Degaton. Degaton then says, let the games begin, and the team fights each other. Suddenly, we see Professor Z, and he snaps them out of their dream state, and they attack Degaton. But we see this is all just a dream of Degaton's. He remembers and then recaps his history with not only the All-Star Squadron, but the experiments with the government as well. He then travels to 1982, but finds superheroes are only in comic books and realizes he's on a parallel world. He leaves, but is thrown about by a time storm and ends up with the banished crime syndicate. He then makes a deal with them to go to 1962 and use the tumultuous time of the Cuban Missile Crisis to steal nuclear weapons. Afterwards, the crime syndicate attempts to double-cross him, but he sends them to an alternate universe over on Earth-2, 
We then see the All-Star Squadron deal with a costumed criminal, Nuclear, the Magnetic Marauder. <laughs> After an intense fight with him, the team heads over to the JSA headquarters, but is in shock to find the JLA instead. All right, buddy. <laughs> wow, that's a pretty great synopsis, Billy. I'll do my best to <laughs> keep up with you. <laughs> I hope I provided a good one. Right, so continue on from to continue on from where you, you finished. Um, mm -hmm. The All-Stars confront the JLA Injustice Society HQ. After a brief punch-up, Superman's super shout gets them all to see reason, miraculously. <laughs> Stories are exchanged, and the entire gang heads off to see President Roosevelt at the White House. They are just in time for a per-degaton broadcast transmitted via a stolen satellite from the future and relayed to a projection screen TV in the White House. Another gift from Degaton, by the way. Perdegaton demands that the world surrenders or he'll unleash atomic hell. Meanwhile, the JSA members from Earth-2's future are still traversing the apocalyptic landscape of Earth Prime in 1982. They battle some Morlocks, if you can call them that, <laughs> after learning of the events um, that led to the nuclear devastation of this world, they depart with the help of Dr. Fate's magic and GL's power ring. Their destination? Earth 2 in 1942. The JLA and the All-Stars are horrified when Degaton fires an atomic missile that impacts in the Pacific Ocean. Reunited with the Justice Society from Earth 2's future, the All-Stars and the JLA start throwing together a plan to deal with Degaton's nuclear threat after FDR informs them that he will surrender the USA to Degaton to escape nuclear annihilation if no other solution presents itself. Superman, Robot Man, and Dr. Fate head into space to destroy Degaton's pilfered and time-displaced communication satellite, but they fall afoul of Ultraman. Apparently the crime syndicate has struck a new deal with Degaton. After defeating Ultraman, the three heroes head back to Earth. Liberty Bell, Starman and Aquaman are up next. They track down one of Degaton's secret missile sites near Japan. They vanquish Superwoman and destroy the missiles. Johnny Quick, Huntress and Hawkman do the same after beating Power Ring in the Midwestern United States. Power Girl, Steel and Firestorm arrive in Switzerland and take out Johnny Quick before each destroying their respective nuclear missile. Green Lantern, Zatanna and Firebrand recruit Professor Z and Professor Iverson to use, or should I say Professor Everson, to use their prototype Time Ray to send them to 1962 on Earth Prime so that they can halt the theft of the nuclear missiles by the crime syndicate and start unraveling Degaton's plans. Back on Earth 2 in 1942, Superman and the rest of the heroes have discovered Degaton's secret lair beneath the site that would one day house the Pentagon. They beat up Owlman and Degaton's cronies and apprehend the fuming little time tyrant. Cut back to Earth Prime, 1962. The crime syndicate arrive via a time rift in Cuba. Just as they are about to steal the Russians' missiles, Green Lantern, Firebrand, and Zatanna take out the entire syndicate without breaking a sweat. With the theft thwarted, time resets itself on Earth Prime and Earth 2, and all the heroes return to their respective Earths. The JSA reunion 
with the JLA commences, the crime syndicate languishes in limbo and Firestorm clumsily hits on Power Girl. All is once again right with the worlds. <laughs> so that's the synopsis. Wow. So yeah. um, there were a few missteps, of course, by the writers involved, right, Billy? But overall, you know, it was it's pretty great, I'd say. I enjoy this. Like I said earlier, it might be my favorite DC crossover, you know, because... Um, you know, it came at the right time for me, right? I believe you're a kid. Uh, you're reading, you know, stuff about this. It, it's confusing at first, but once you figure it out, it's like a eureka moment, and you think you're much smarter than you really are. But you know, I felt like this once I got a hold of the entire story. It was definitely a, that that kind of a moment for me. So yeah. yeah, man, it's 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 pretty great. What are your overall impressions of the the plot itself? I loved it, and. This is the first time I went through the entire five-issue uh, story because for the longest time I did not have one of the JLA issues, and then it took me a while to get issue fifteen right, of right. Uh, All Star Squadron. So I, I like you were saying about when you were younger, I only had three out of the five parts for a while. So you know, I kind of just dusted over them quickly. Because I thought, well, I don't want to get, you know, try to even figure things out on my own. I want to get these other issues. And it wasn't until not too terribly long ago that I got the other two. So, um, but I did, I do love it. I think it's great. I think Roy Thomas, like I said, especially, and then some Jerry Conway in there too, deserve a ton of credit because although there's a couple of things you can pick at, if you read this story from start to finish, it is a lot of fun. You know, yeah, you have to keep track of the different parallel earths and things like that. And then they're in different times and whatnot, but they do a pretty good job of keeping everything pretty clear and concise and just tell a fun story. And the way they end it, Conway ends it with, you know, the firestorm getting all horny with power. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. He started off horny in the first uh, in part one, and then he ended yeah. horny again in part five. It came full circle. Yeah. Hi, Ronnie. Oh, man. Why doesn't Professor Stein... I mean, he does, in fact, step in, you know, at yes. one part when, when Firestorm started hitting on Brandy, on Firebrand. Yeah. <laughs> but he never steps in yeah. when he puts his foot in his mouth in, in other, you know, uh, cases. So it's just weird. <laughs> yeah, that one scene, I think, if I remember, I can't remember which part it's in, but he, he says to her, like, hey, Firebrand, huh? And she's like, yeah. And then all of a sudden he goes... We should compare notes. And she goes, about what? <laughs> and then, yeah, and then Professor Stein appears, you know, telepathically and says, trust me, you're out of your depth here. You're out of your league. Yeah, well, <laughs> oh, boy, pun. calm down or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a great bit. Great bit of humor there. Yeah, no, yeah. This, is, this, this has so many good beats. I, I'd say, you know, there are definitely some things we have to address later on, you know, that, that mm -hmm. they, they had to deal with on the fly, um, you know. Yeah. One of the, the things being the crime syndicate members having, uh, you know, appeared in other comics between their first appearance and and, and this storyline. Right, Billy? So they had mm -hmm. to kind of address that because after all, um, you know, after the events in JLA 29 and 30, when, you know, the JSA and JLA first encountered the crime syndicate, they the crime syndicate mm -hmm. were defeated and then imprisoned in limbo in what yeah. what could only be called probably like a magical... Uh, bubble, you know, force, um, bubble. force yeah. bubble by the JSA mm -hmm. and by you know Green Lantern and Doctor Fate, 
And, um, yep. you know, they were languishing there in limbo with these warning signs on the force bubble, warning people from op- <laughs> from setting them free. But some of them had escaped, you know, like Ultraman had recently mm-hmm. appeared in a DC Comics Presents issue, I think it was, where he had yeah. uh, fought Superman. And then, you know, he had somehow escaped. So that had to be explained. And also some of the others, you know, they'd also like um, recently appeared somewhere else. So R- Roy and company, they kind of had to say, yeah, we did manage to escape, you know, um, you know, the crime syndicate had to act, actually acknowledge that, <laughs> just to yeah. to not mess up continuity and to not get the fanboys, you know, uh, foaming at the mouth. But <laughs> um, you know, I would probably have also been been thinking like, what is what is up with this? This doesn't make sense, you know. And you know, some people just can't handle that, right, Billy? I can because it's comics. But you know, there are people who are uh, sticklers for for you know uh, continuity. And um, they addressed that really well, I think, uh, other than a few missteps, which we'll get to. So, Billy, let's start with the mm-hmm. covers, though. The covers are mm. jaw-droppingly great. Um, Cuber oh, yeah. doing the All-Star Squadron covers. George Perez, uh, who's a master. I don't know how you feel about Perez. I don't think you and I have ever discussed. I think well, once we talked about him on uh, Into the Weird, we discussed some of his Avengers art, but that's it. What do you yeah. think about George Perez? He's one of the greats. I love him. Um, I do look fondly upon his early Avengers work and then his uh, late 90s, early 2000s Avengers work. Oh, yeah. Fantastic Four that he did. And then, of course, the stint on Justice League. Well, he he didn't do a continuous run on Justice League, but he did quite a few issues there, you know, in Mm -hmm. the the late 70s and early 80s. And then also, of course, Mm -hmm. he's well known for Teen Titans, you know, the new Teen Titans with Marv Wolfman, I think that was... And, and Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman reboot after Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, which he yeah. wrote and penciled. Um, I think uh, some of his best art. Um, but the Teen Titans, I think, was the the high point of his... Uh, you know, I, th- I that, that's just my personal opinion. Of course, he's had many high points in his career. Yeah. But he's, oh, yeah. And then, of course, he did the covers for the Who's Who issues. I think the first five or six yeah first five he did and then a couple of ones later as well but the first five covers for the who's who you know series from dc was just fantastic because of course george perez is known for drawing being able to draw a large cast of characters um Mm -hmm. with a lot of detail and you know accuracy and and beauty (laughs) his his art's just beautiful oh yeah that's just how you could, oh, uh, yeah. the best way to describe it. So we've got three mm-hmm. covers by George Perez, right? Billy, we'll start off with the cover to JLA 207. What do you think about mm-hmm. that cover? I like it quite a bit. Um, it's funny how, let me see, one, two, three, at least four, five, six. At least six of the people are doing their O face. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> especially yeah. Superman's is quite hilarious. Um, and Firestorm too. Firestorm actually looks like he's trying to like bite someone's head off. But I do, I do, I do love how each uh, book, you know, of this storyline has the same kind of concept, where it's like a uh, you know a picture frame in the middle with a shot from something going on inside the comic or you know close, and then all around the outside in like a, a U shape is uh, all the. The heads of all floating the heads. Members, the JLA. Oh yeah, I love that. That's one of my favorite things. I love it. Now, 
I if I had to pick one of the favorite ones, this wouldn't be my favorite one. I'll get to that one when we get to it, but I, I do like it. It's all three of the Perez ones are very good. There's nothing you can really, you know, I mean, they're they're all pretty strong. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I said, this was my first encounter with the Crime Syndicate, and seeing this cover when I picked it up, it was immediately compelling. You know, them uh, coming out of this transmatter cube, the Crime Syndicate, and taking on the mm. Justice League. It's it's a great mm-hmm. cover because it's filled with action, right, Billy? And mm-hmm. of course, like you mentioned, these great facial expressions. I think it's only <laughs> Hawkman, uh, Robot Man, and Doctor Fate who look nonchalant. <laughs> Doctor Fate because of his mask. Well, Robot Man looks like he's yeah, smiling. Robot Man looks like he's smiling. Well, like, look, violence, isn't it great? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, we can't blame him. I mean, he he had that smile, you know. Uh, on his face all the time possibly to uh, you know assuage people or or, you know us puny humans that he was not a threat (laughs) you know but yeah he had that smile on his face I think they addressed it in one of the All-Star Squadron issues as well that he tried to look like uh, he tried to humanize uh, him you know that's why he got Mm -hmm. that smile on his face so but but having him look at this scene unfolding in the middle that that's pretty weird because it looks like he's having the time (laughs) of his life and then hawkman just looks like oh this is just you know par for the course is this is nothing special him looking at that scene yeah i mean green lantern though now that i'm looking at green lantern like for more than just a second his face looks funny to me too and not funny as in he wasn't drawn well but like the kind of face he's looking at it like he looks like he almost like walked by someone with some bad body odor or something. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Looks like it. Yeah. No, it's, it's a great cover and everybody has, like you say, a different facial expression, but yeah, there's a lot of O faces. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, uh, I love the way Perez draws women, you know, well, I love everything that he draws really, but his his women were always very attractive to me. I mean, when I was reading uh, Tales of the Teen Titans, you know, Starfire and Wonder Girl, whoa. Mm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. They were like uh, the be-all and end-all of female beauty for me back then. <laughs> you know, <laughs> never mind Sneak Crawford, Claudia Schiffer. I just took down their posters and replaced it with, with well, mock-ups of <laughs> Starfire and Wonder Girl. I'm joking. We, I didn't have any posters of them, but I would have. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Anyway, and Power Girl, yeah, man. I mean, oh, Power Girl, Billy, come on. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to blame Firestorm, but the only thing, I mean, the, the, again, the cover's great, but when you look inside the book at the actual page where that happens, that same scene, I, I think Don Heck and Romeo Tangal do, do a better job. Now, granted, it's a, it's a splash page, not a cover, but man, look at that splash page. Yeah. Crisis times three, and oh, it looks gorgeous. Terrific. No, no, it is terrific, mm. I, I must admit. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. I would be hard-pressed to pick between the two, but let's just say Holy they smokes. managed to compete with the covers, Ooh. you know, no yeah. doubt. So, no, Billy, I agree with you there. And then, you know, now the, the next cover... Uh, by Joe Kubert. You know, mm-hmm. this is a pretty great cover too because this is Kubert. Oh, Kubert yeah. has his own flair when drawing faces, different than mm-hmm. George Perez. George Perez does it magnificently. Like someone, for instance, like Kevin Maguire, you know, when they started doing uh, Justice League International in the late 80s, he was well known for drawing faces. But look at Kubert and George Perez's faces. Now, Kubert's faces are arguably even better. Uh, for me, you know, on the cover of All-Star Squadron number 14. 
um, which is the next cover. Uh, you know, the way he draw Degaton, I mean, that's pure evil and maniacal glee, maniacal glee, oh, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Uh, and he's got the, the all-star squadron members in this hourglass filled with sand. And it mm-hmm. looks like he's playing with them like a child's toy, shaking them around. <laughs> They're <laughs> slipping and sliding in this sand in this hourglass. And uh, then again, the floating heads, the floating heads are great. You know, the expressions are... You know, like in this, this is not so much awe uh, or or surprise like we got from Paris. This is more more of the characters are exhibiting anger, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, the picture frame part of this cover, I think I like better than the first cover. Same here. Um, the faces around, they all look good too. I think Perez did a better job on Firebrand and Firestorm though, but the rest of them are right on par between Joe Kubert and George Perez. Yeah, that's right. He made Joe Kubert made uh, Firebrand look a lot older than she really is, I think. Maybe even Liberty Bell too. Um maybe just some of the lines he drew on their faces. I don't know. It just just makes them look a little bit yeah. older. But you know, when I look at Kubert's yeah. stuff, I'm not looking for beauty. I mean, he does draw some pretty pretty attractive women, you know, when he wants to, but I'm I'm looking for this gritty, you know, uh, rough kind of uh, visage on the characters, you know. That's what I what I like about yeah. Kubert, you know. Oh yeah. But a great cover, Billy, and I think, like mm. you say, the idea behind the 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 center image is 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 mm-hmm. one of the best, you know. Them in this hourglass, because after all, Degaton is you know the uh, master of time or or a time traveler. Mm-hmm. He's probably not the master of time. Someone like the time traveler would probably kick his butt. But you know what I mean. <laughs> He's um you know yeah. time powered so he's got this hourglass which is a very nice symbolic touch there mm-hmm. so great cover as well and then we get to another fantastic uh paris cover for mm. jla 208 now believe this one the, the concept here is also pretty great but it's also very disturbing mm. like let's mm-hmm. talk about this one yeah so this is my favorite of all five and <laughs> that people might think i'm a little bit nutty but it i just think it's the best because I think it's just as it's drawn just as well as the other five, but it's the most powerful one uh, by far. And like you said, part of that is because it's kind of a little frightening in a real world sense. You know, you have the all-star squadron and the JLA rushing towards, you know, something out at sea and you see this giant mushroom cloud as if a nuke just went off and then Degaton's face in the mushroom cloud. It is crazy good, crazy good cover. Oh. Uh, yeah, I have to agree with you. It's fantastic. And you know, it was even more frightening back, you know, in the 80s when we first read it, Billy, because then the threat of yeah. nuclear, uh, you know, apocalypse was hanging over us all. Maybe mm-hmm. more so between the States and Russia, but, you know, the rest of the world would also have suffered. So, you know, there's always that part of it. That's what made Watchmen so scary as well. So... You know, yeah. um, as a little kid, I don't think I was as afraid of what they call the bomb, you know, as, as most people. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, definitely maybe let's say an older reader, like a teenager or a, a kid who had somehow it had been imprinted in his mind that, you know, there's this um, tension between the United States and Russia all the time, which there was, of course. He might have someone like that might have been more fearful of this cover so yeah. it, it's very impactful even today but probably even more so back then and the fact that Paris mm-hmm. drew Degadon's face in the mushroom cloud that makes it even Ooh. scarier right 
<laughs> yeah, like a baby boomer reading this when it first came out, this definitely would have struck a chord because, you know, they were in schools doing bomb drills and stuff like that. Yeah, that's know, right. Because of, yeah, because of Cuban Missile Crisis and stuff like that. So, you know, it doesn't really hit me as hard as it does from someone from that generation. But like I said, it's it's still my favorite. That's um, right. Because it's it's powerful and still scary because, you know, nuclear yeah. bombs are friggin scary man yeah let's, let, let me let me tell you something billy i have not yet decided which cover is my favorite <laughs> i should have decided that before we started recording but it's up in the air for me i'll i'll, I'll see mm. which one is my favorite once we get to the to the last cover and 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 i look oh, back on all of them because there's just so many so much greatness here look yeah. at aquaman's face on the cover of jla 208 he looks like he's saying tut tut tegaton Tut, tut. I expected He's... better from you or something. <laughs> yeah, he looks unimpressed by a nuke. Superman, yeah. <laughs> that is the, the ultimate O face if I've ever seen one. He looks yeah. like he's having the uh, ultimate male experience there without getting too oh, no. here. Yeah. Robot Star Man's... Man as well down there, by the way. Oh, yeah. Star, Star Robot Man, Man looks same. pissed. Yeah, he's yeah, got Star the Man. smile, but he's got a frown. You know, on his face yeah, he, this he time looks, Yeah, he looks slightly evil there, Robot Man. Yeah, and Liberty Bell looks like she's been rejected from the cheerleading squad or something, and she's incredulous there. I don't know how to describe that. And and Firebrand looks like she's enjoying the the nuclear flame being unleashed yeah. by this by this bomb. But you know, some pretty great mm -hmm. headshots there as well. We're just we're just having a laugh at the expense of art that's Poking that's fun. so yeah. much better than 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 we actually look in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and then you know you've got the cover to um, this is another Kubert cover to All Star Squadron uh, 15, where you know the center image features Doctor Fate and Robot Man in orbit on top of this what what is supposed to be a satellite, but this this time around looks like a an alien spacecraft. Uh, so they're <laughs> battling does. Ultraman in space, and Ultraman's just uh, you know uh, punching Superman here. Um, in what mm -hmm. seems to be a, you know, a knockout blow while Dr. Fate's blasting him with a magic bolt from behind. Uh, now, Robot yeah. Man seems to be heading <laughs> <laughs> through the atmosphere. You know, he's, he's on fire. <laughs> you know, he's combusting there because of uh, he's falling into Earth's atmosphere, which in fact does happen in the issue. But I think, um, mm -hmm. and, and look at the detail there, Billy. Robot Man's one arm has been separated from his body, which is, in fact, what happens in the issue, too, you know, after his confrontation with Ultraman. So nice bit of detail there by Joe Kubert. I would say, though, that Dr. Fate and Robot Man are not very detailed. I think Paris would have gone into more detail with, with smaller figures like that. But he yes. gives a lot of detail to Superman, you know, mm -hmm. who's being punched here towards the reader <laughs> by Ultraman. So, Billy, what did you think of this cover? I like this one quite a bit too. Like you said, the only thing is it looks like an alien spaceship instead of just a satellite. And then the lack of a little bit of detail in the background. Other than that, again, fantastic. Love all the heads, the expressions. Um, I really like how Zatanna looks on this one. Like some of the other ones, I mean, the last one, uh, the, the JLA 208 Zatanna looked good too. Uh, but some of the other ones, she looked a bit off. Like her hair was like, you know, like she had uh, enough hair for three people. And now this is coming from uh, this is coming from a bald guy here. So you know, take take this with a grain of salt. But she looks uh, really good on this one. I like its profile shot of her. 
Um, and I think that oh, yeah. looks pretty darn good there. Yeah, yeah she's pretty... Uh, I mean, Joe Kubert's profiles of females were pretty uh, well-drawn, I'd say. Very attractive-looking girls that do do that way. But, Billy, listen, let me focus your attention to uh, Firebrand and Liberty Bell. Don't they look like those creepy kids from Village of the Damned? <laughs> look at their, their eyes. eyes. <laughs> oh, and then wow. Look at, Su- look at Superman, as if he's watching this scene and being like, huh, I just got punched out. Like... You know, no big deal. Like, yeah. <laughs> that guy just punched me. I'm like, what? <laughs> the expression is, you know, Firestorm is like the ah uh, kind of face. Exactly. Aquaman looks puzzled, like, uh, what would I do out here at space? Not in the water. I'm useless. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like Flash Gordon to me in this headshot. Yeah. You know, you, you could easily mistake him for Flash Gordon in, in most cases, but here especially because he's just, you know, drawn from the, the neck up. But um, a pretty pretty great cover, lots of good floating heads. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, we finally we wrap up the covers with the last one, Billy. I'll be able to give you a definite answer. Okay, mm-hmm. this one is uh, by George Paris, of course, to JLA 208, uh, 209, the cover here. And it just features Degaton in the center image, uh, standing in front of a cracked, which could be a pane of glass, but it's a crack cover um, montage of the the previous uh, four covers of the of the series of the crossover you know mm-hmm. he's standing in front of these four covers uh, which looks like a cracked you know mirror and then he's yeah. screaming this world is mine and you've got the mm-hmm. real sense that parent prayers drew him as this diminutive figure because after all Degaton even though he's well muscled he is very short <laughs> you know mm-hmm. which is Probably yeah. why he's got a bit of a complex and or or why <laughs> he wants yeah. to compensate for something here. But you know, <laughs> this time around, Perez he exaggerated the faces. Right? This is the <laughs> if yeah. you look at the every single face on this cover. Well, the floating again, heads, except except for Robot Man, he looks like he's smiling. Like hey, this is great. I'm thinking, <laughs> what? But everybody else yet yeah, is like. You know, in shock and awe. Well, and of course, you can't figure out what Doctor Fate's up to either. His eyes look a bit sinister, but that's <laughs> yeah. all we can see that and in here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's, oh, yeah, Green a, it's Lantern. amazing. <laughs> no, no, Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah, no, Green Lantern looks like he's 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 at a kegger, and they're gonna yeah. pour you know some 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 beer down his throat in a <laughs> a beer bong. <laughs> beer bong, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it looks amazing. Now, this is this is the, the headshots that were completely exaggerated. So I'm, I'm definitely not going to pick this cover as my favorite. It's not a bad cover. Don't get me no. wrong. But, um, I mean, I like the fact that the, the four previous covers are there behind Degaton in this cracked mirror. But uh, yeah. definitely not my favorite cover. Billy, I don't want to, you know, uh, ape you. I don't want to copy you, but I'm going to have to agree with you. And that would be that... that uh, you know, cover that Paris did for JL, JLA 208, that must count as my favorite because that is just uh, hands down, you know, the scariest cover, you know, and you know mm-hmm. how I feel about scary stuff, about things that horrify me. That's immediately appealing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. except eyes, except eyeball horror. Let, let's just, <laughs> let's not go there. Luckily, there's not a lot of eyeball horror except for the way Cuba drew <laughs> Firebrand's eyes and Liberty Bell's <laughs> eyes. But, you know, yeah, the the nuclear explosion on the cover with Degadon's face in it from JLA two hundred eight. I'm also going to pick that as my favorite cover. Yeah. So some pretty great ones here, I believe. We were spoiled again mm-hmm. by Kubert oh, yeah. and George Perez. 
So now that we've got that out of the way, Billy, we can get into the story itself. We'll start off, you know, with the JLA meeting the, you know, the crime syndicate on the JLA satellite. Um, so at first, you know, reading this, we didn't know. This is a typical uh, meeting between, you know, annual meeting between the JSA from Earth 2 in 1982 with the JLA from Earth 1 in 1982. They're getting ready for the the meeting with the JSA and Zatanna is the first, well, she's uh, doing her first stint as the chairwoman of the JLA. So it's up to her to give mm -hmm. the, the go ahead for Superman to activate the transmatter cube. And um, uh, the JSA are getting their own transmatter cube ready in, on Earth 2, but they suddenly feel a weird uh -huh. tugging sensation, right? They're being tugged sideways. Yeah. Now later, Billy will learn that this is because of a time storm that's... Uh, you know, been affecting the the three worlds, Earth Prime, Earth One, and Earth Two, right? This time storm, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's that's basically just Roy's way and Jerry Conway's way of explaining how all you know how this uh, the, this le these leaps between dimensions can happen and these leaps between time. Uh, so there's mm -hmm. almost like a, a a third villain in this uh, crossover series, which is this. Um, time storm which seems to screw things right. up all the time and uh you know but before uh, the transmatter cube is activated firestorm's already thinking about how he's gonna impress power girl this time around you know so because the last time yeah. they had a crossover or they had a meeting with the the jsa he was uh, i don't know what was wrong with him but he was moping around he couldn't uh, power girl was playing hard to get <laughs> you know, and uh, mm -hmm. he couldn't make any headway there. But this time around, he says he's going to put his best foot forward. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then we get that amazing yeah. splash where, you know, they're expecting oh, the JSA to, to arrive in the JLA satellite. But instead, wow, Don Heck drew Superwoman very alluringly there. I love the way he drew her. That splash base, Crisis Times 3. And uh, mm. great Krypton from Superman. They can't believe that the... yeah. Crime Syndicate is is uh, facing them head to head, so like you mentioned in your synopsis, Billy, this is a very one sided battle, right? It's probably yeah. over in mm -hmm. like five seconds. Um, I <laughs> yeah. who's your, like uh, which is the favorite little uh, battle vignette here for you? Like mine would have to be um, the Aquaman and the Johnny Quick, uh, you know, uh, scenario. But um, which which one's your favorite? <laughs> oh, for me, it's easy. It's Superwoman punching Superman out of the satellite and into outer space. That is awesome. Yeah. I love it. It's so great. Like, and again, I like Superman, but seeing somebody like super strong, usually that can just take anything, get smashed is awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was um, upset by that because when I first read this issue as a kid, uh, Superman was like, you know, the most powerful hero for me in my mind. And uh, mm -hmm. things like this happening to him, that upset me for some reason. It was almost like cognitive dissonance, you know, believe where your your core, your very yeah. psyche is shaken by something that you, you're, you're, you're unwilling to accept. Um, and that placed Superwoman on a very high uh, level. And then mm -hmm. she's not consistently portrayed as this strong throughout the storyline, you know. So that's why I was upset by it. But um, yeah. it's a pretty great scene, you know, where she uses this double-fisted punch on his chin <laughs> and it hurls him mm -hmm. straight out of the satellite into space. It's amazing. And then, you yeah, know, I you've love it. got Ultraman wrapping 
uh, Zatanna up in some, you know, iron cladding or something, um, and then you know, hurling her into space to to follow Superman. Mm-hmm. And when he's doing that, he's like, ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It's a sinister laugh. But you know, the the Aquaman bit was a little bit. <laughs> upsetting to me too now because i'm i'm arguably more of an aquaman fan now than i am than i was back then you know so aquaman always okay. you know if you watch stuff like superman super friends you know um or or you read their comics i never watched them on tv because we didn't have them in south africa where i grew up but you know we got the oh, comics wow. i i bought some of the comics because i'm a big fan of kurt schaffenberger you know he did like a couple of the issues oh, of oh, super yeah. friends but i'm okay. also a huge fan of uh, ramona Freyden. you know believe she oh, yeah. her art is just amazing but you know um uh with you know the new 52 and jeff johns's aquaman i really got into aquaman you know that was one of my favorite new 52 series from eight or so years back nine years back uh, now i think so, you know, I, I got into modern-day Aquaman through New 52, which is weird because the New 52 was an unmitigated disaster, <laughs> at least in my mind. But, you know, <laughs> back then, I wasn't much of an Aquaman fan. Um, I, I'm not, I, I shouldn't say I didn't. I disliked him, you know. Um, there, there was that, those, that great adventure comics run where Jim Aparo, you know, you, you love Jim Aparo, I love Jim Aparo. Mm. I love the way he drew Aquaman and Aquaman's foes, you know, like mm-hmm. the... Who was it? The fisherman and the scavenger and those guys, you know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was a fan because of Jim Aparo's art. But, you know, I'm here. It's believable that Johnny Quick would take him out, you know, with this whirlwind. Um, and uh, this, this was a great bit of uh, scene for me. Um, and then, you know, obviously the, the rest of the JSA, uh, the JLA have been taken care of. You know, Firestorm's been flattened by a huge, you know, uh, a 3D shape uh, from Power Ring there. Yeah, like a mallet. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> and then the supervillains, Alman uses his super brain to to uh, make uh, repairs and to uh, locate this experimental spacecraft, probably hacking into the JSA mm-hmm. system there. And then they use that spacecraft to head down to Earth-1, now this is in 1982, of course, and we never see what you know they got up to on Earth One, right? Mm-hmm. Believe because as we'll see later, yeah. they're going to be drafted by Per Degaton again. They for un- unbeknownst to us, they've already been uh, drafted by Per Degaton. <laughs> That's how they got to the JSA, right? To the to the yeah. JLA satellite. But well, we'll get deeper mm-hmm. into the story. Now, Billy, tell us what has happened to the JSA. Meanwhile, well, yeah, they got captured like. They basically almost switched places with uh, the crime syndicate and ended up in the force bubble or whatever you want to call it, prison. You know the, yeah. AKA the phantom zone or whatever. Yeah, the limbo. And that's yeah. an interesting little thing too. Yeah, in limbo because everybody else is like kind of panicking and not knowing what's going on, and of course Doctor Fate knows what's going on, and then he does a, you know, a synopsis of the last time that they met, like you said, in the. Uh, JLA 29 and 30. Mm. And that's a really cool page too because it shows, you know, them trying to fight them and he basically tells them that it took, you know, the combined efforts of the JSA and the JLA to stop the crime syndicate. So they're pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty powerful. They have no qualms. Uh they they murder, you know, uh easily whereas the JLA and the JSA kind of have to pull their punches. So that's probably why, but you mm-hmm. know, Billy, yeah, they it it took the combined forces of those two teams to take them down. And Doctor Fate was, uh, you know, he knows that this prison was made to withstand 
uh, all of the respective powers of the you know crime syndicate so that's why when power girl tries to uh, smash through punch. the bubble punch through the the this prison yeah. it doesn't work but of course starman and dr fate there are no you know evil mirror clones analogs. of them analogs yeah. of them on earth yeah. uh three where the crime syndicate hails from so they managed to combine mm-hmm. their powers the you know cosmic rod from starman and dr fate's magic and they break free but now they're floating around limbo right billy and then mm-hmm. green lantern comes to the rescue he he reasons that you know there must be a, a a weak spot in in limbo where the crime syndicate managed to break through into uh, the Earth One universe, and that probably led to a rift, you know, that that he could access with his ring to escape this limbo. So they they find this 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 weak this hole in reality, and then they end up in this apocalyptic wasteland. Which Green Lantern, I can only think that he's that that his ring determines this. It he knows that it's Earth Prime, the world they call Earth Prime, where all the DC characters are just characters in comic books, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, later we'll we'll find out this is where Superboy Prime hails from, you know, during the Crisis on, um, uh, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and and later again in subsequent Crises events from DC. But, um, yeah, you know, basically there are no superheroes other than Superboy Prime. Uh, you know, we're mm-hmm. all, they're all in comic books. But this Earth has been devastated by some nuclear holocaust, right? Mm, and, uh, yeah. you know, so they're, they're surprised because, you know, after all, according to them, Earth Prime should be fine. You know, they've, they've encountered Earth mm-hmm. Prime before, you know, and uh, it, it should be thriving except without superheroes. And now they're confronted with this this landscape where the, these mutant plants that attack them, right? That want to feed off of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they make yeah. short work of that. So, Billy, meanwhile, what's happening on Earth-1? The JL, JLA are recovering, right? Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. what, what they, do they, they re- do? They recover. Yeah, they recover, and they're like, oh, crap, like, since the JSA didn't show up, like, something must be wrong with them. So then they jump in the crazy transmatter machine and uh, go to see what's going on with the JSA, because you know, for, you know, for all they know, maybe the crime scene they get kicked the crap out of them or killed them or something. Cause yeah. Kind of crazy. They would. They they don't have any qualms with killing. So they go back there and they're just like, you know, hey, what's going on here? You know, because as far as they knew, like you said, they were in the everything's cool there, everything should be fine, but they show up and the place is like nothing's happened there for decades like it's cobwebs growing all over the place yeah this is now earth to 1982 and uh they they're you mm-hmm. know uh presumably they're very shocked to learn this because after all the jsa headquarters should be fine in pristine condition and then like mm-hmm. you say it's it's run down and they superman uses x-ray vision he looks outside and he sees a world that uh, should not be so they 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 get out of there and uh, they see that this is a city completely stuck in the 1940s, even though it's in 1982 in terms of clothing and cars. Everything mm-hmm. uh, is dedicated, statues along the, the, the roadways, all dedicated to Per Degaton. And Superman mm-hmm. recognizes him from the old JSA files. So something has happened in the past, um, you know, in Earth 2's past that made Degaton the ruler here. 
So they're confronted by Degaton's men, his uh, shock troops, or what do you call them, his stormtroopers, <laughs> you know, based off of the... Yeah, like Gestapo. Almost, Gestapo, yeah. Nazi troops, and they defeat them, and then they head back into the, the JSA headquarters, and Superman decides, okay, there's only one thing to do. they got to find out what happened, you know, uh, in the past that created this, this present. And so Superman asks Firestorm to whip up a, a super strong, uh, what would you call it, like a bubble right a marble yeah. uh, mm-hmm. firestone calls it, calls it an oversized marble <laughs> and then <laughs> you know the jla climb in superman uh, picks up the marble and he flies them back in time you know as mm-hmm. he's able to do and then they uh, get to 1942 and you know they're in the jsa uh, headquarters again this time it looks fine you know everything's hunky-dory mm-hmm. and then the door opens and what do they see billy who who enters into the JSA headquarters? <laughs> Our buddies, the All Star Squadron, come walking in. <laughs> That's right, the All Star Squadron now confront what the, the JLA. Devil? Yeah, what the devil <laughs> says Liberty Bell for the first time. So obviously, this is going to be a Marvel style throwdown between two hero teams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a really really good page too. There. By, oh yeah, uh, yeah. And Tangle, really good page. Like Zatanna, look at her face in that top. Uh, picture there, the top panel. She looks really pissed off. Yeah, Aquaman too, man. Hulkman even, yeah. All of them. Yeah. Yeah, they look great. Yeah, those guys are good. <laughs> uh, great at facial expressions, like I say. And, uh, you know, understandably mm-hmm. so, because they're confused. They think that the JSA have been, or that even the Justice Society of the past, they think that they've been somehow replaced with with these doppelgangers or, you know, so mm-hmm. it could be a supervillain team. They're not sure because they just came off facing the crime syndicate. They're taking no chances, right, Billy? Yeah. But, but then we head off into the next, uh, into part two, which is All-Star Squadron 14. Here we've got uh, the yeah. opening splash page. Very sinister, <laughs> very disturbing. Oh, yeah. Um, it's Creepy. basically the All-Star Squadron doing a Sieg Heil. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Wow, that's disturbing. And they're doing, they're hailing per decaton here. And um, they're mm-hmm. in a stadium, what could be Yankee Stadium, for all we know. <laughs> and they say, we are about to die, salute you. So they're, they're going to be involved in a gladiatorial bout here, because that's what the gladiators used to say to the, the Roman, the, the Caesars, you know, in the Circus Maximus, mm-hmm. before slaughtering yeah, each Coliseum, other. Yeah, the Colosseum, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the title of this uh, particular tale is The Mystery Men of October. And this uh, title has a bit of an interesting story behind it. The title specifically comes from a docu-series from 1974 called The Missiles of October, based off of Robert Kennedy's book, Chronicling the Cuban Missile Crisis. So, The Mystery Men of October. Now, that's a good title. Mystery Men, that's what the superheroes, well, the the masked heroes were known as in the 1930s and early 40s, right? Rather than superhero, they sometimes Mm -hmm. used uh, a mystery man. And uh, then it appears that even though the All-Star Squadron and they're, they're all, you know, slaughtering each other in this this uh, three, three-page three sequence, yeah, in this arena, yeah. it appears that it all just turned out to be a dream on the part of Degaton, right? But the dream, this is the funny part, right, Billy? How does the dream, how does Degaton get, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, slapped out of his dream here? It, it seems that Colonel Sanders... <laughs> from KFC, which is actually Professor Z. So we'll call this (laughs) Colonel Sanders from KFZ, shows up Mm -hmm. at the stadium and shouts, 
at the J- at the you know, All Star Squadron members to wake up, <laughs> or yeah. he says, "Yeah, he's your foe. You know, don't serve him." <laughs> and then mm-hmm. they all turn on Degadon. So now, you know, it becomes a nightmare, which is what it in fact is, Billy. Because what do we learn <laughs> on the very next page, page six of the comic? Yeah, it's great. It's uh, he kind of like wakes up screaming, and then there's a panel that's like almost like an L-shaped panel where it shows like the dream still emanating from his head and the heroes like all-star squadron coming after him and he looks like he's ready to crap the bed <laughs> and then yeah. his hands his his face in his hands it looks like he might be crying <laughs> yeah exactly i mean he wakes up in a mm-hmm. cold sweat but yeah he, he was crying there for a bit i'm sure and and it shows <laughs> the calendar on his wall shows uh with a coca-cola calendar right on the wall shows 1947 yeah so this is again him waking up in the in the in the time when he first faced the the justice society you know way back in all-star comics so he wakes up and again he remembers everything that's happened but this time he remembers all the various time jaunts and times he tried to rule the world right billy because as we As as you might remember, listeners, from the previous mm-hmm. issues where Degaton confronted the All-Star Squadron, once he's defeated and time has been set right, everybody involved loses their memories of the mm-hmm. events, you know, as time resets yeah. itself. So, But Degaton seems to be able to recall what happened to him through dreams, and these dreams jumpstart his memories. So mm-hmm. this time around, Billy, this is the, the arguably the first time this has happened, right? But of course, this time right. it includes the second time he tried to take over the world as well. Not just the time in All Stars uh, comics back in you know uh, 1947, way back when, but also in the the very first appearance of the All Star Squadron. Right. Um, so he remembers everything. He remembers he, the armies of Alexander the Great, which is from the All Star issues, <laughs> and he remembers Solomon Grundy and you know the villains that he. The, like Wotan and and the lot that he got together to confront Employed, the JSA, yeah, yeah and on, yeah. Uh, had the had defeat on the submarine and everything. <laughs> so again, he follows suit. What he always does is he heads into the, to work after recovering <laughs> his memories, murders Professor Z, <laughs> makes sure that he's dead this time, and steals oh. Professor Z's time machine. Now, Billy, where does he head off to? In the time well, machine, I like he gets all cut. He first he gets all cocky with the professor, and the professor goes, "Eh, what are you talking about, you foolish little man?" <laughs> and that's when he pulls the gun out and shoots him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna make sure he's dead this time." And then that's when he says, "I want to go to 1982, because he wants to get technology from the future to use it in the past to uh, serve his nefarious uh, plans." Yeah, and he he gets all pissed off because he he goes to a newsstand. And starts reading about, you know, the threat of atomic war, because, you know, as you've already mentioned, you know, early 80s, still the Cold War going on and all that. And then he, he questions the poor news guy. He's going to, like, beat the crap out of him. And he's like, where are Hawkman, Wonder Woman, and Superman? And the guy goes, where do you think, Mac, in those comic books? Where else? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great scene where he grabs that, that newsstand uh, proprietor and just, just pulls yeah. him across the newsstand and messes up his entire you know stand there you know Billy this is great we should mention though that when he engaged the time machine in 1947 there uh, he felt Mm -hmm. a tugging at the controls right and this was again the time storm so rather than Mm -hmm. hurling him into the future of Earth 2 
1982 of Earth 2, it hurled him into 1982 on Earth Prime because of this time storm mm-hmm. creating these dimensional rifts in space-time. Yeah. So, you know, he's very upset about that, that he's in the wrong place. Maybe not the wrong mm-hmm. time, but the wrong place. And so he heads off back into the alley, climbs into his time machine, and he's out of there to discover mm-hmm. what went wrong. And that's when he's into he, he's drifting through dimensional limbo right the 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 space between yeah. worlds and um, <laughs> he encounters this ditko-esque doctor strange level uh mm-hmm. scenery here right and then oh, yeah. he happens upon the bubble where the crime syndicate are imprisoned in <laughs> with all the warnings oh, yeah. written in alien languages and english of course <laughs> plastered on this bubble and yeah. he uses uh, i mean it seems that this time machine has some pretty fantastic capabilities because yeah it can vibrate at different uh, wavelengths the molecules can vibrate at different wavelengths to allow him to penetrate this impenetrable bubble and then you know he wants to recruit the crime syndicate because that's what Degaton's known for at this point in time right Billy recruiting villains you know from Mm -hmm. from different eras and um, like he did in his first uh, showdown with the all-star squadron he wants to recruit them, but they immediately attack. You know, they, they uh, you know. Oh, yeah. So we learn that, you know, even though there's like, uh, you know, um, calls from various super teams throughout, you know, comics like, you know, Titans Together or Avengers Assemble, it seems that the crime syndicate's, <laughs> you know, call to arms is grab him, syndicators. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. And then they can't, right, Billy? Oh, yeah. Because he seems to vibrate no. at a different wavelength than them. He did this because he suspected that they might attack. So then, since they can't harm him, yeah. he makes them an offer they can't refuse. He will set them free from the bubble and take them to where they want to mm-hmm. be if he would, if they would do something for him in return. And what he wants from them mm-hmm. is to go to this Earth that he has... To go with him to this Earth that he has just visited, Earth Prime. And he's learned from the newspapers and so forth and the information that he's absorbed <laughs> through his time machine by monitoring mm-hmm. you know uh, earth prime's feeds in 1982 he's learned of the 1962 incident the cuban missile mm-hmm. crisis so he wants yeah. the crime syndicate to accompany him to steal these missiles from cuba because he wants the mm-hmm. missiles he wants to use them as as leeway to conquer the world in 1942 on earth 2 by threatening the governments of the world with nuclear annihilation. But meanwhile, he doesn't care what this will do to Earth Prime, Billy, because essentially this will cause even more tension between the Russians and the Americans when all the missiles suddenly disappear. And then eventually Kennedy will launch the nuclear missiles then um, at Mm -hmm. Russia, and Russia will will follow suit, and there will be nuclear devastation. So we've Mm -hmm. got this great bit where the crime syndicate... (laughs) do the bidding of Degaton. They show up, they smash these Russian troops in Cuba, assembling the missile site, because, you know, after all, that's what the the Cuban Missile Crisis was all about, right? Believe the the Bay of Pigs mm-hmm. incident in which the Americans were involved in Cuba, where they threatened the Cuban government, uh, Fidel Castro's regime, uh, caused Fidel Castro to indirectly caused him to become friends with the Russians and allow the Russians mm-hmm. to construct missile sites in Cuba so that America could be reached, you know, um, uh, by mis- for missile strikes. And then 
uh, that caused the, the Cuban Missile Crisis because when you know the Americans U yeah. two uh, spy plane revealed these missile sites in Cuba that the Russians were assembling, uh, Kennedy pronounced that uh, you know uh, Chairman Khrushchev from the Russian you know Federation or the USSR he needed to oh, yeah Khrushchev yeah. yeah Khrushchev he needed to stop this reckless uh, behavior immediately or there would be nuclear war basically so they they created yeah. a blockade. You know, you can see this incident unfold in one of the the newest X Men movies, right? Billy X Men First Class. <laughs> they also oh, use yeah. that <laughs> as a plot point. The Cuban Missile Crisis. There's this blockade that yeah. blocks any uh, ships, any cargo ships traveling to Cuba. Obviously, Russian cargo ships, cargo ships transporting weapons to Cuba, and um, mm -hmm. yeah, that that whole blockade was the reason that. And eventually, uh, the Russians took the missiles out of Cuba rather than face global mm -hmm. nuclear war but um yeah. yeah everybody was pretty belligerent there for a while right billy so this is exactly mm -hmm. what happens on earth prime <clears throat> right after Degadon yeah. steals the missiles there a nuclear war erupts and that's why mm -hmm. when the jsa showed up on earth prime in 1982 in the previous issue they saw this nuclear uh war wasteland. zone yeah wasteland yeah. yeah so billy now i'm gonna let you yeah. speak about the next bit um it seems that uh, just after the syndicate did Degaton's bidding and they were all back on the time machine transporting these missiles through what I can only describe as like a tractor beam. <laughs> Degaton's got <laughs> dozens, yeah. dozens of missiles in this tractor beam behind the time machine transporting them through limbo. The crime syndicate tried to pull a fast one on Degaton, but what happens? Well, he figured they were going to try to double-cross him, so... He basically said uh, he had like a, a booby trap for them that they're gonna get uh, if they came near him or even try to touch him, they were gonna get uh, hurled into a, another time dimension. And Owlman's like, I should have suspected. And uh, Superwoman's like, we're fading. And psh, they get you know junted off. And he goes, I hurled them 20 years ahead to 1982, so they can't affect the missile crisis on any earth i don't care which world they end up on <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he's oh. a real he's a real jerk <laughs> wow a real piece of work yeah mm -hmm. no i mean so now th this is one of the, the the bits of the plot that i have a hard time with right billy because as we'll learn later on um this this is all events that happened in the past obviously right the story yeah that started it off in 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 the first Justice League issue that we discussed, you know, it started after the, these events. And, um, mm -hmm. of course, uh, he hurled them, you know, who knows where, and they ended up in the JLA satellite, right, presumably. Right. And then yeah. because of the time storm, they exchanged, uh, you know, places with the JSA, who were also heading to Earth-1 for the, the, the meetup with the Justice League. And uh, mm -hmm. that, that part's easily explainable. But what's not easily, you know... Uh, understandable is how later on it seems Degaton off panel completely it, it was not shown that that it happened at all but it but it did happen he made an, a, a second deal with the the yeah. crime syndicate even though they had tried to betray him and even though they had vowed revenge <laughs> for him just you know, throwing them through time or through yeah. dimensions he made a second deal with them and they agreed you know, it's not inconceivable because, you know, after all, they want to get back to, you know, their own time or wherever. But I, I would say they would, right. would have been more than happy on Earth on Earth 1, <laughs> where they seem mm -hmm. to be, 
you know, because that's where they hid it after they defeated the JLA in, in you know, the first issue of this crossover. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, that part's a little bit um, clumsily written, I think. That's one yeah. of the first missteps. Would you agree? Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's tough because you only have so many pages and issues to get a story down. And if you, like you said, if you think about it, you know, you have Degaton who has a time machine that can jump through different times and dimensions and all this stuff. So he could, you know, quote unquote off panel, zip back there and make another deal with them. But like you said, I don't know how easy it would be to make another deal with them after he already betrayed them once. Like, I don't know about that. That's right, man. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a clunky writing there. But, you know, we'll, we'll let that slide because, uh, you know, this, this happens in almost every, you know, uh, crossover comic that I've, I've read. I mean, you know, you there's, there's some parts that are not easy to to explain away or understand. You know, so I've yet mm-hmm. to to read the perfect crossover, but you know, they, they, it might exist out there. <laughs> Who knows? So then, yeah. Billy, um, yeah. Oh, hey, before we get before we get to part three, I wanted to just say one thing too. Uh, there was a Marvel reference in this issue uh, when Degaton is beating the crap out of uh, harassing the uh, newspaper guy. Once he figures out he needs to get out of there. He says, goodbye, Cretan. I have no further use for you. And he's going to the alleyway where the time machine is. One of the bystanders says, help, police. That crumb bum just wrecked my newsstand. I'm like, uh, that's what Ben Grimm used to say all the time. <laughs> oh, <crumb> bum. <laughs> dude, I completely did not catch that. No, no, I did not catch that. That's true. He does use crumb bum, you know, quite a lot. <laughs> it might be Roy saying, hey, let's put some... You know, uh, Ben Grimm dialogue in here. Yeah, it might, it might be. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting. No, I did not catch that at all. <laughs> well done, well done there, man. No, so, um, but before we end uh, this part two, right, Billy, we must mention the the oh, yeah. the, the, the All Star Squadron members, uh, Liberty Bell, Johnny oh, Quick, yeah. and Firebrand. They show up. In, this is Earth Two, of course, in the past, nineteen forty-two, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. show up in, uh, you know, New York. They're uh, getting out of a taxi cab, and then they're immediately uh, confronted by this villain called Nuclear, the Magnetic Marauder, who's in fact, <laughs> yeah, he's a he's an old Wonder Woman villain. You know, he showed mm-hmm. he first showed up in Wonder Woman number forty three way back in nineteen fifty, right? So Roy, right. you know, took him from the from the the, the past there, DC Comics is past, and and mm-hmm. put him in there, maybe because his name is nuclear <laughs> and he uses nuclear power to to create his yeah. magnetic you know effects so and that also gels with the threat that you know everybody's going to be facing mm-hmm. maybe that's the only reason i can think that they picked this villain but he would show up again in subsequent uh, issues of all-star squadron pretty soon right billy mm-hmm. this nuclear guy but he, he yeah. proceeds to kick the crap out of Johnny Quick <laughs> there. <laughs> wow, which is yeah. which is really humiliating for old Johnny. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's sort of like uh, drawing girders and construction uh, bits from this, um, you know, building, and he's trying to hurl it at the... I don't know what his plan is. It doesn't seem that he was robbing a bank or anything. He's just no. immediately trying to destroy parts of the city. And Causing shenanigans. Yeah. yeah. So the rest of the All-Star Squadron, they show up on the rooftop where he's basically, I don't know, torturing Johnny Quick here with, with metal bits, <laughs> you know, that he's, yeah. that he's able to control. And then mm-hmm. they sort of take him out. 
You know, Commander Steel and Robot Man, they they grab a hold of this cable and they wrap it around uh, poor old Nuclear and they leap off the roof with him. Well, it's actually not... Uh, it's, this is his his uh, magnetic powers that causes this to happen. He pulls Commander Steel and Robot Man to him, you know, a, mm-hmm. because of their metal parts. And then they all fall off the rooftop together. <laughs> And yeah. Commander Steel and Robot Man are saved by the uh, flags, a uh, flagpole sporting the American flag. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. Nuclear saves himself by pulling himself into the the building, you know, mm-hmm. with his uh, magnetic yeah, powers. Got like, yeah, he's got like almost like an Iron Man style armor on. So you know, he uses his magnetic powers to pull himself into the building, like through a brick wall, which sounds impossible. But yeah, he's got like an armor on, like like yeah, you know, like almost like an Iron Man character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also we'll we'll learn later on. He's a, a scientist who's developed this armor. Um, that's mm-hmm. the storyline for the future. Um, I think in the next mm-hmm. episode we'll cover that. But um, you know, because they just had this battle and they sort of lost. They didn't really lose, but they let the villain get away. They feel like they need to regroup or, you know, uh, rest up. So they say, where can we go yeah. for a for a quick meeting? For a quick debriefing and then Liberty Bell suggests the Justice <laughs> Society headquarters because they're in New York, you know, and apparently Hawkman mm-hmm. gave her the key, you know, since mm-hmm. the Justice Society aren't using it at the moment. They've all been disbanded for the duration, right? So they head to the the Justice Society HQ, they unlock it, and that's when they find the JLA members from the previous issue in there. Mm-hmm. Aquaman, Zatanna, Superman. Who the devil? Yeah, again, the who the devil crops up here. <laughs> Firestorm mm-hmm. and Hawkman there. So next up, Master of Worlds and Time. So Billy, this mm-hmm. is part three now. Now, uh, what do you mm-hmm. think about the first splash page in part three, uh, Justice League uh, number 208? Mm-hmm. Well, I love me some Commander Steel, and he's right away shaking his fist at Aquaman and Firestorm, probably, I guess, the whole JLA, and he says, Who are you? What are you doing in the Justice Society HQ? And Firestorm, who's another, you know, hothead, as we've said before, literally, literally and figuratively, he says, funny, pal, that's just what we were about to ask you. And then, like you said, you know, it's a comic book thing. Even when you get two heroes or two hero teams, two villain teams, whatever, they always have to have a bit of a fight in the beginning before cooler heads prevail, which ends up being Superman with his super scream that hurts everybody's ears except Robot Man, who has his hands on his hips. And says yeah. he's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a, a couple of funny bits here. I mean, Commander Steel <laughs> and Aquaman's fight. That's a another funny fight for me. Now, modern day Aquaman would have mm-hmm. been able. No offense, because you know I love Steel. Steel's one of my favorite ca- characters, yeah. Commander Steel. But modern day Aquaman would have been able to squeeze him into a pretzel, I think, because mm-hmm. you know, believe he's like the way they're depicting depicting Aquaman these days is like the Submariner. You know, because of the, mm-hmm. the ocean pressures that he can withstand. Uh, it gives him super strength. He's even been shown, uh, you know, in modern comics to punch Superman and send Superman flying. You know, so, mm-hmm. of course, this is not the Aquaman from the Bronze Age and the Silver Age. He was very much underpowered, but still m- much stronger than a human. So he tries to take on Commander Steel. Whammo! But there's just no effect. <laughs> He's just... And then he gets picked up. One-handed, you know, like, like a, a ragdoll. Yeah, like a baby by Commander Steel. <laughs> Superman gives uh, Commander Steel a bit of a hot foot, or should we say a hot palm <laughs> with his heat vision yeah, to force him to drop Aquaman. So a couple of great fights, 
you know, Firestorm versus Robot Man, that part makes no sense because Robot Man's all metal. Firestorm should have been able to turn him into, you know, uh, slag or into, you know, Mush, tapioca yeah. or whatever he wanted. <laughs> but instead he opts uh-huh. for this, this straightforward nuclear blast, which Firebrand is able to manipulate. And Hulkman is scurrying like Martian Manhunter <laughs> from fire here, right? <laughs> He's uh-huh. like... Oh, yeah. Like, oh, no, if those flames reach my wings. <laughs> so Tana uh-huh. comes to his rescue with a rain shower, uh-huh. giving Aquaman extra, <laughs> you know, you know, a bit of oomph in the process. So eventually, uh-huh. like you say, Superman employs his uh, super voice <laughs> to, to get these <laughs> rowdy kids in this classroom under control. And then Johnny uh-huh. Quick, man, he, he's so mercurial. He at first says, Robot Man is also, you know, of a sound mind here. He's he's rational. He says, yeah, we should listen to this man. Let's talk rather than fight. And Johnny Quick says, talk with these cheap Jack imposters. <laughs> and then Superman says, you know, uh, you know, I am the real Superman, Mr. Quick. You know, it's just I'm from a different world and a different time, 1982. And then Liberty Bell can't believe it. And then, <laughs> you know, she tries to talk. And Johnny Quick says, yeah. what does he say, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he goes, quiet, Libby. For Pete's sake, let the man talk. I'm like, what? listen to this jackass. All he normally does is hit on people. And now he's going to tell everybody what to do. He's the voice of reason, Mr. Horny. Okay. Yeah, this is probably Jerry Conway just, you know, picking Roy's brain, saying, what's what's Johnny Quick like? And Roy's saying, he sometimes he's a bit of an a-hole. <laughs> and then yeah, Jerry Conway, you know, up that by a factor of 10. <laughs> and he wrote yeah. him. But, uh, yeah, this is Johnny Quick taking a little bit too far. And then we've got this scene where they're all exchanging, you know, tales and Firestorm hits on Firebrand and Professor Stein chastises him, right? <laughs> he says, down, yeah. boy. Take some advice from your shared persona. You're in over your head. Oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah that's great, though. So you're called Firebrand, huh? What a coincidence. Uh. Firestorm. Maybe maybe we should compare notes. And she goes, about what? Jeez. <laughs> Come on. So he got shot down in like record time. <laughs> Come on, she's got a real life knight in shining armor, you know, you know, at her beck and call. She doesn't need this this hot headed kid. And uh, you know, <laughs> Superman, you know, amazes the All Star Squadron with his tales of future technology, right? Satellites and uh, rockets to the moon and an actor who became a president. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, is almost is like out of Back to the Future, right, Billy? Uh, <laughs> Who's the president? Oh, yeah. uh, Ronald Reagan. The actor? <laughs> yeah. Well, and you figure this predates that. So yeah, of course. This cool. predates Maybe, that, yeah, maybe, by three years. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Robert Zemeckis must have been reading some comic books. I yeah, think. that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so then they all head off to the White House to meet with FDR. Now, FDR is suitably oh, you know I impressed he's like wow you know not only do we have yeah. the all-star squadron justice society we've got you know the justice league from another parallel world <laughs> mm-hmm. i like how his dog is growling at them though that's my favorite part <laughs> 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 the dog doesn't Fala. like them apparently Gra- growling oh, at them. yeah, yeah. He's, he's very <laughs> upset that now these these strangers are coming into his master's abode his uh mm-hmm. he's probably marked his territory in the wet house quite a bit <laughs> little fella did <laughs> oh, <I'll bet. laughs> now listen this is a great scene with harry hopkins right harry hopkins leads them to to the oval office right and harry hopkins mm-hmm. says you're just in time because we've been sent this this special device 
which arrived in a crate this morning. It's like a, it has a broadcast message on it and you should see it. And then Harry Hopkins says, yeah, it's this device which our science advisors are baffled by because its electronics are too advanced for us to understand. It's some kind of television receiver. And according to its label, what does Harry Hopkins <laughs> say, Billy? According to its label. <laughs> it was made in Japan. <laughs> And I mean, okay, like oh, back damn. then, I guess that would seem a little weird. <laughs> that would seem really weird because, of course, they're worried about Japan. You know, Japan's ahead in the technological race or whatever. And now mm -hmm. they've, they've got this device. Oh, man, they're so... It's probably like a telephone... <laughs> oh, what, what would you call it? Like a Sony or something. And then, yeah. you know, it's Degaton. But, you know, the J JLA members, they recognize it as simply a projection screen TV from 1982. And... You know, the timer clicks yeah. on it and Degaton's face appears on this t TV screen <laughs> in the, the White House. And then Degaton, <laughs> yeah. you know, gives his ultimatum. He says, this message is going out simultaneously uh, to all the leaders of the world who's all received this little device, a similar device. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's being done by his satellite. You know, he just announces the fact that he has a satellite, <laughs> right? Which, which mm -hmm. <laughs> is going to cause him some trouble. And, um, you know, they, they all must uh, cede power to him un mm -hmm. unless, you know, if they don't, he's going to unleash his nuclear missiles from the future. Yeah. And uh, at first he argues with, with Roosevelt a little because, you know, Roosevelt says, you know, these are the kind of weapons you're trying to bring forth. And Roosevelt says, I haven't the slightest notion what you're implying, sir. <laughs> You know, and mm -hmm. then uh, Degadon says, why don't you ask General Groves, Mr. President, ask Dr. Oppenheimer, <laughs> you know, so this is like top secret <laughs> stuff. He's, he's laying out to the world here. He's, he's telling oh, yeah. this to, to Churchill, to Hitler, to Mussolini, to Marshal mm -hmm. Patan in France, everybody at the same time. So now they all know about the nuclear program way back in 1942. Presumably uh -huh. this, this will all be wiped from their memories though, right, Billy, oh, if, if yeah. this situation is resolved, but yeah. scary stuff. And then Hopkins tries to interrupt and Degaton, shut up, Hopkins. I'll prove my power. Like, Degaton's really getting crazy in this one because at first they don't realize it's like a two-way thing. You know, it's just not them watching him. He can hear what they're saying as well because Libby says, something about him seems so familiar. And Firestorm's like, he's a nutcase, Liberty Bell. All nutcases look alike. <laughs> Degaton, <laughs> silence. I'm speaking to all the world's leaders simultaneously, and my words are instantly translated. I will not be interrupted by costumed clowns. <laughs> <laughs> he, he gets his own dig in. Yeah, no. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's great. It's a great back and forth there between them. And then, you know, uh, he, he's, he promises that he will show off his power with a test if there are any people who don't believe him. So he's going to... Next day, yeah. Yeah, next day mm -hmm. use one of the nuclear missiles. Mm -hmm. And the JSA and, well, the All-Star Squadron and the JLA say they'll be on hand to make sure that there are no you know casualties when that happens but then Billy we cut to um, after a bit of a pep talk by FDR we mm -hmm. cut to Earth Prime in 1982 where the members of the JSA from the future of uh, Earth 2 are still mm -hmm. stuck on this in this nuclear wasteland and then they have yeah. this this battle against the Morlocks <laughs> who basically just want to defend their shelter <laughs> you know from these right these uh, invaders and then mm -hmm. I mean they take them out this is just I, I think uh, 
Jerry and Roy they want to show how tough the JSA are even in their old age. Well, well, technically they've got Huntress and Power Girl along. They're the young members. But mm-hmm. uh, Starman and, you know, GL, they're the heavy hitters here, I'd say. And Dr. Fate, of course. I mean, well, Power Girl I mean, too, but... Yeah, for sure. I like how, if you think about it, all the members except Huntress can fly. So as they're flying around trying to assess the situation here, <laughs> Starman is holding on to Huntress. And she's talking about this and that and getting a little upset. And Starman says, "We're don't twist about so much, Huntress, or I might lose my grip, and you'll have a nasty fall." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Jeez, gee, man, man yeah, no, he's cranky." Yeah, he's in he's, he's in his cranky in his old age, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's Ed. getting old, yeah. No, but it's 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 pretty great because Billy, you got you got this. Um, the scene where they well it's, it's fantastic art on the part of heck here you know drawing this nuclear wasteland where everything looks decayed and melted you know and mm-hmm. um you know the, these morlocks look suitably horrific they've got this pinkish oh, yeah. skin these huge huge lobe like you know brains and these weird purple pinkish eyes and um the, yeah they look horrific and then you know the JSA heads in, into the subway tunnels, right? And they they find this old hermit who seems to have a collection of 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 technology, <laughs> you know, that he salvaged, which is able yeah. to show them, you know, it's like videotapes and stuff that he's got of old, you know, broadcasts well, that he can. Yeah, fate zaps his head and kind of steals his memories, and then somehow projects this guy's memories onto a television. I'm not sure how he pulls that off. But <laughs> magic, that's man. what he it's is. magic. Yeah, that's what he does. And they see President Kennedy talking about Cuba and the missile crisis and all that stuff. And like you said earlier, then it's it's not good news from there. You see him and Khrushchev talking, and it just goes down the crapper. And Kennedy makes the decision to hit the button, and kaboom. Yeah, that's where we realize what happened here to explain you know, this nuclear yeah. devastation. And, um, but pretty, uh, a couple of great scenes, right, Billy? And then, you know, they fly off, you know, mm-hmm. presumably they're going to use Dr. Fate's magic and, um, you know, well, they, they, they don't show them doing that per se, but it happens. You know, I, I mentioned this in yeah. my synopsis where Dr. Fate and mm-hmm. Green Lantern, Alan Scott, use their respective powers to escape this reality. Uh, because mm-hmm. apparently there are time rifts all over the place because of the the time storm, dimensional rifts as well, right, Billy? So mm-hmm. they can access these weak spots where reality has been torn. But then yeah. we've got um, a very disturbing scene of you know the Justice League and the All Star Squadron in on Earth Two in 1942, uh, witnessing the nuclear strike in the in the ocean in the Pacific Ocean here mm-hmm. from Degaton who's launched a missile, yeah. and then they're too close, right, Billy, which you know, they didn't exactly know where the missile was going to hit. They roughly knew, so it's 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 conceivable that they might have been too close, you know, and then they're yeah. at, right after the explosion happens. Liberty Bell is incredulous. She says, you know, we're, we're 15 miles from the, the impact, uh, from where it's going to impact. We should be safe, you know, there's no danger, mm-hmm. but then... Superman and them set set her straight. They say, "No, look at this. This is a nuclear bomb." So they're about to be, you know, uh, torn asunder by the shock wave when Zatanna saves them with a wall of water. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it seems that um, you know now the All Star Squadron are fully aware of just how terrible these weapons truly are. Yeah. After witnessing this 
devastation. And that is at that point, that exact moment when uh, the JSA from who who's now come from Earth Prime, the the JSA from the future of Earth Two, they appear in mm-hmm. this bubble, presumably fashioned mm-hmm. by Doctor Fate. <laughs> you know, it could right. also be Starman. It could be GL. Well, it's not green, so it's maybe not GL, but. They appear yeah. and they're unconscious. And of course, Firestorm, you know, cops a feel here or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm being <laughs> too mean to Ronnie, but he grabs Power Girl as she's unconscious. Mm-hmm. And, well, what um, does he say? Talk about well-preserved. Power Girl is just yeah. as lovely as she was when I last saw her. Exactly, man. <laughs> uh, what, what, what you say this right after? I mean, they're obviously, they've been hurt. They're unconscious. And he's, you know, admiring her unconscious form. That's creepy, man. Yeah, I'm just like, okay, Bill Cosby, calm down here. Oh, sc- oh, dude, <laughs> scary. Like, That's what brutal. A, what a friggin' friggin' creep. Yeah, it's like, geez. And then Hawkman, he's grabbed Starman by the cape, and it looks like he's choking him. Yeah. I'm thinking, dude, he's unconscious. He's going to be dead by the time you get him to the ground. Pretty scary, right? I like it when Johnny Quick <laughs> grabs uh, Huntress. You know, um, he says, yeah. Huntress? She looks like a female Batman. <laughs> well, technically... <laughs> part of the bat family here Johnny kind of is yeah yeah so um then you know they lay them all on the deck of this destroyer that they use to observe you know the the strike of the missile and then Degaton is uh you know having a bit of a party or whatever on his (laughs) wherever he is because in his secret lair which we will learn later yeah yeah, below the pen well he's in a plane he's flying in a plane at the time right a plane that had Mm -hmm. been invented in the future another one you know bit of technology still and you know he's he's uh, celebrating but this is a a little bit too early he's counting you know his eggs before they've hatched because Mm -hmm. you know uh, we head on into the very next issue which is now part four right billy all-star squadron Mm -hmm. 15 and here we see that the JSA have recovered. You know, they're on the deck of this destroyer. They're all mm-hmm. catching up. And of course, Firestorm's, you know, right there looming over Power Girl again. <laughs> but it looks <laughs> oh, like Aquaman. Yeah. Aquaman's also concerned for her well being. Look at that, Billy. Mm-hmm. All, all the men are like congregating around Power Girl here. Yeah, they ever like surrounded. Yeah. And this one is called Master of Worlds and Time. Right, this mm-hmm. this uh, part four, and you've even got some deckhands. Do you see the deckhands in the back? <laughs> you know, sweeping <laughs> yeah, they're the like deck, leering at the women, and they're like, "Whoa, these these <laughs> well, babes!" I mean, look, <laughs> let's be real. You're a sailor, and you're out on a ship with just a bunch of other dudes for like you know six months, a year, however long, and you see you know Zatanna and Power Huntress, Girl with her boobs hanging out and stuff. Firebrand, yeah, you're, you're gonna Bell. get a little crazy. Yeah, no, no, it's <laughs> it's scary, man. Well, I mean. Just these sailors, they're probably thinking, yeah, well, Christmas has come early this year. <laughs> it's early in 1942. But, um, you know, they, we've got them again just catching up on their own uh, respective stories here, right? Because after all, mm-hmm. the All-Star Squadron and the JLA know nothing of what happened to the JSA. And then they yeah. commence to, to, you know, tell them, to, to debrief them all. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, they learn of what happened and then they decide they must head back to Washington to discuss this with FDR and um, FDR then gets another well uh, Skype zoom call or whatever you would call it from (laughs) Per Degaton because he appears on that screen again again broadcasting simultaneously to all the leaders of the world and he Mm -hmm. says that you know now that you've seen the power of my missile you know this will happen to all the cities of the countries who refuse to declare me their you know a leader 
Mm-hmm. You know, so um, we don't know what the rest of the world leaders are thinking, but we know that FDR says that unless the, you know, the superheroes can come up with a solution here, he's going to capitulate, right? He's mm-hmm. going to hand over the reins of power to Degaton because that's the only way to save millions of lives here. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's pretty disturbing. That that gives the the heroes some added impetus to, to quickly, you know, uh, take out Degaton, right? Yeah. So, Billy, now mm-hmm. this is a fantastic scene, probably one of my favorites in in this entire crossover. Robot Man, Superman, and Doctor Fate—they all split into different teams, right? Some teams are going to track down the hidden missile silos that um, Degaton has set up all over, you know, mm-hmm. the world uh, of 1942 yeah. of Earth Two here. And some heroes are going to track down his secret lair. But Superman, Dr. Fate, and Robot Man, they're going to take out this satellite, which Degaton stupidly announced he has, <laughs> by flying into yeah. space, because all three of them can survive the, the harshness of the void, right? But yeah, apparently, Billy, now, now here's where, where some people would, uh, you know, sort of criticize Roy and the guys here. They say that mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're outside the Earth's atmosphere, but there are enough air molecules around to carry their voices. Hence, they can talk. <laughs> yeah, stuff like this. I'd rather... Um, sometimes I feel like when these things are addressed in comics, it's because some, you know, uh, snooty fan wrote in and was like, hey, you know, a fan letter, you can't do that in space. I just feel like it's a comic book. Yeah. So I would rather writers just ignored that stuff and just have them talk, man. It's a comic book. You have to su- suspend belief anyway. Like, don't try to explain away every little thing in a comic book. Maddening. Just get to the story. Exactly, man. This this just just um uh, uh derail the conversation here a little bit, Billy. With with an aside that you know I want to mention. Like, you remember when the Aquaman mm-hmm. movie came out? I had this huge fight with a friend, an erstwhile friend. Who's not my wow. friend anymore because of this 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 Aquaman movie? Because um, you know, I said I loved Aquaman, and he said, "Listen, I've got one word for you, uh, or two words, as it turned out." And I said, "What?" And he said, "Stationary sharks." I'm like, "What? What are you? What, <laughs> what are you talking about?" And he says, "Listen, man, there's no way a shark could hover in place like that in the water with you know." You know, remember in the movie, right? <laughs> the legions of Atlantis, they rode various sea creatures, right? Giant seahorses, um, whales, dolphins, whatever. But but he was focusing on the fact that this movie is crap because they, they don't, you know, the, the the filmmakers don't go to the extra length to, to make it believable. So I'm like, and oh. you focus on sharks? I'm, I'm sure, yeah, sharks have to keep <laughs> moving through the water. You know, they can't... You know, because of their what do you call it? Their swim bladders, right? They don't have uh, swim yeah. bladders, so they they can't go backwards or or they can't stay still. They must keep moving, you know, in order for the water mm-hmm. to circulate through their gills. But yeah, fine. But come on, this is a movie where people have the Atlanteans have domesticated <laughs> the entire ocean. They could have genetically engineered these sharks to 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 hover their stationary. What is your problem? And then we had this huge <laughs> fight. It, it it went much further than the Aquaman movie. I mean, he called me out for always like, you know, trying to denigrate him when he gives a comic opinion, whatever. But if your comic op- opinion is shit, <laughs> you know, then I'm going to I'm going to have a problem with that. I'm going to call it out, right, Billy? So, you know, there was this huge fight. This is like 
one of those times, I would say, you know, <laughs> you know, in the All-Star well, Squadron issue here. Yeah. Well, two things. Number one, I did not see that film because all the trailers I saw for it were like super CGI heavy. And I did not like see what I saw from the trailer. So I actually haven't seen that one yet. I should look and see if it's uh, streaming on demand because um, a lot of those movies are right now that I can see them for free that I the last time I looked anyway with now with HBO Max, maybe not. But um, that's funny. And we make a mental note that uh, after we're done recording here, I want to know who that was. Okay, anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You will not know this person. There's not any of our oh, Twitter buddies okay. or anybody. This is a, a, oh, okay. a, a mate from South Africa who's on my WhatsApp. So don't worry about that. None of oh, our Twitter okay. buddies. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, the you should see that movie, Billy. It's, it's a, a fun time, I think. I, I loved it. I really, really did. I think that's one of the better DC films. Right up there with Wonder Woman 1. You know, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that would probably be my second favorite DC movie. But anyway, let's not get into this. We're probably going to get some hate mail <laughs> because of my <laughs> comments. But, um, you know, basically what this happens there, they're, they're able to, to manage, you know, whole conversations in space. And then, yeah. you know, while they're tearing apart Degaton's satellite, right, Billy, Ultraman shows up. And, you know, Dr. Fate tries... Well, first, Superman is taken out by a hidden piece of kryptonite. <laughs> That's, yeah, that was De weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ultraman must have put it there, or it could be Degaton, but I don't see how Degaton would get his hand on kryptonite. He could probably, you know, through time and through dimensions, easily get his hand on kryptonite. But this might have just been, you know, a snack that uh, Ultraman had hidden in his pockets or something, if he even has <laughs> pockets, which he doesn't, <laughs> because <laughs> right. he feeds off of kryptonite. And yeah. then, you know, uh, as, you know, they, Robot Man uncovers this, this piece of kryptonite when they're tearing into the satellite, Superman is immediately rendered useless and he drifts off into space. <laughs> Dr. Fate, you know, wow, yeah. this is, this is very cool, <laughs> callous on his part. He says... Uh, you know, hurl that box into space. Don't worry, Superman will be all right in orbit there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> but then Ultraman swoops in and grabs it, and he recites that line you talked about earlier where he says, as for kryptonite, why, that's like mother's milk to me, see? Yeah. And I love how Dr. Fate's like, then let me bathe you in something you'll like far less. Now, by the power of life and order, and he starts zapping Ultraman, Ultraman goes, Order doesn't live in this universe anymore. You Houdini in a hell. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. Oh, man. He, he punches Dr. Fate and sends him reeling. Now, Dr. Fate, you know, he's super yeah. strong and semi-invulnerable as well. We know that from, mm -hmm. from well, well, we will get to know that as well in subsequent issues of All-Star Squadron. Right. But, you know, Ultraman takes mm -hmm. him out. Now, I don't know what happened here, Billy, but, you know, there was... Um, sort of a through line in in the Ultraman uh, stories where every time he's in sp exposed to kryptonite he gains an additional superpower um, now okay. I don't know if, if that was the case at this point in the continuity but I read that in the who's who I think issue 5 where the crime syndicate is featured now yeah. now this might have this exposure to this particular chunk of kryptonite might have given him the power to resist fate's magic <laughs> You know, because <laughs> maybe, yeah. So, um, you know, he he's uh, uh, confronting Robot Man here, and he rips Robot Man's arm right out of its socket, and then Robot yeah. Man to escape, you know, to protect his human brain, he he leaps into space, you know, towards Superman. But he's got a plan in mind. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dr. Fate recovers and he's immediately destroying the rest of the satellite, <laughs> which really tees off yeah. Ultraman here, right? And then yeah. Superman taps him on the shoulder and pa-cow! <laughs> Superman pre- proceeds to give him the beating of his life. <laughs> yeah, kicks the living crap out of him. Before that, oh yeah, some more Ultraman making fun of Robot Man, calling him Robbie the Robot. Um, and I, friend, I don't like being called Robbie. And then after he rips his arm off and he's floating out there, <laughs> Ultraman says to him, um, oh, he goes, one thing's for sure, Rust Bucket. You sure won't be giving old Soups a hand. Ha, ha. <laughs> He's again with the ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Just like when he like hurled Satana like into like... space. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I don't know. He's like a, a dumb jock kind of character. You know, he's... he's he def- is. Yeah. He's definitely not... He's <laughs> just the, the, the brawn of the team. He's very much not a the meat- brains. A meathead, yeah. yeah. A meathead. He's a meathead, for sure. After he's punched... Superman lays a beating on him, though. Yeah. He punches him into the depths of space, right? Uh, Superman does. And then Dr. (laughs) Fate creates a magical barrier around the Earth to prevent Ultraman from, from, you know, basically entering Earth's atmosphere. And then Superman rescues Robot Man, who's about to die from the friction heat of Mm re-entry. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. they, presumably now protected by Dr. Fate's magic, they... (laughs) <laughs> re-enter Earth's atmosphere you know in any case <laughs> and Superman's got Robots Man mm-hmm. arm they're saying they'll repair it when they get back down to Earth and then we've got the team yeah. of Aquaman and Liberty Bell and Starman they're using they're, well mm-hmm. Starman uses his cosmic rod to to scan for radiation and they find it on this specific island where these Japanese soldiers have been stationed but they've been you know rendered unconscious and then they they head into these caves this system of caves mm-hmm. and then they find Degaton's one of his hidden missile silos and they take out the yeah. goons but wonder oh, what superwoman <laughs> shows up she's there yeah yeah and they take her out but but I mean they take her out in a very interesting way first she she gets the best the better of Liberty Bell and Starman because after all she's stronger than Superman but then she gets right. taken out by a tidal wave uh, yeah. Or from Aquaman, <laughs> who's who's arrived with the cavalry in the form of these giant blue whales, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I almost thought. Like, why not have like the whales bust in and one of them like at least like tail whipper or something? Yeah, water. Like, uh, come on, if she's as strong as Superman or stronger, almost even in this issue, it seemed like at times like that's not going to stop her. But that's that's all that happens. A yeah. wave wipes her out and then she's like unconscious. Yeah, she <laughs> might not have his invulnerability. But still, you know, she she's semi-invulnerable. But, you know, um, this was one of those times when I was like, when I eventually, you know, filled up this crossover um, much later after I initially read the first issue. Um, I okay. was like thinking, but she launched Superman into orbit and punched him into unconsciousness in the first issue. This doesn't yeah. make any sense, <laughs> you know, so no. but whatever. We're, we're nitpicking again. So, you know, yeah, a little slip up, but we're good. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad. And then, you know, um, we've got Johnny Quick and Huntress. And, um, of course, Johnny Quick's uh, ferrying the lady around. He's got Huntress mm-hmm. firmly clasped to his side and r- runs with her across the countryside. Now, this is Midwestern United States, right, Billy? So, yeah. Hawkman's rigged. After all, this is not Hawkman from Earth 2. This is Qatar Hall uh, from, you know, uh, Thanagar. He's whipped up a device 
um, that would uh, detect atomic radiation, that would detect the, the missiles in the Midwestern United States. So they they confront power ring and he uh -huh. hogties them, but then he's taken out by <laughs> Huntress and a batarang, a batarang to the jaw. <laughs> Thwack. Yeah she, yeah, she initially says, this one time I'm glad I don't have any superpowers. And power ring says, I'm kind of happy about it myself, girly. And then, <laughs> yeah, she, he just like dismisses her because she doesn't have any superpowers. And like I said, she has battering thwack right to the head and just knocks it right out, which I like that. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. That's a great bit from Huntress there. I've always loved the Huntress from Earth, too. Mm -hmm. And oh, then yeah, she has a good showing of herself here, but oh, yeah. he's getting knocked out, what happens? Oh, yeah. Uh, he accidentally discharges. And you know, uh, a bolt from his power ring, and it uh, blasts the, these uh, grain silos, revealing that the yeah. missiles were hidden in them. And he's accidentally launched one of them, and then mm -hmm. Hawkman flies Johnny Quick up there, but they can't quite catch the missile. So Johnny has to use his momentum flight power, which is still in its infancy, right, Billy, to launch himself mm -hmm. at this missile. And then, now this is another bit of quick explaining here on the part of of the editors or of Roy <laughs> or whomever saying that the reason why Johnny Quick is able to take apart this nuclear nuclear missile without having it explode is because Hawkman gave him a crash course <laughs> in nuclear missile assembly. <laughs> <Insanity>. Now, <laughs> it's not inconceivable, you know, believe Johnny Quick is a, a, a student of science, you know. Um, mm -hmm. So, and, and of course, Hawkman is, you know, Thanagarian police officer who's who's the equivalent of a nuclear physicist apparently <laughs> but yeah that's a great bit a great scene there where Johnny takes apart the missile in midair and then you know they disassemble the rest of the missiles and or or at least their warheads and now mm -hmm. Degaton has been thwarted on three fronts you know two of his mm -hmm. missile sites have been destroyed and his satellite and now he vows revenge you know, at the, uh, in the final panel of part four, uh, mm -hmm. which is All-Star Squadron 15. Now the, the conclusion will be in the next issue, which is Justice League 209, um, yeah. where the very first splash page has, you know, all the teams reconvening on the White House lawn. And this story is called Let Old Acquaintances Be Forgot, taken from uh, the lyrics of Old Lang Syne there, right? <laughs> so this this ties in with the whole, you know, conceit that once, you know, uh, matters have been said right, at least in where Degaton is concerned, everybody forgets as time resets itself, right, Billy? So that's why yeah. we learned. That's why it's called this. But, you know, they quickly give a recap to FDR about their, you know, uh, individual adventures facing off against the crime syndicate. But we still yeah. have to deal with uh, the team of Power Girl and Commander Steel and Firestorm as they head to Switzerland to confront <laughs> Owlman and the missile site over there. Now, believe this, the, the Swiss are portrayed uh, very, you know, uppity in this uh, because after all, they were the neutral country and a lot of, you know, <laughs> yeah. countries objected, especially countries that like the United States, they were, I wouldn't say offended, yeah. but many people in the States were offended that Switzerland did not take a hand in the war eventually because after all it became a clear choice between right and wrong i mean here you have this side of sure. the axis that commits genocide and then the other side who's trying to prevent that so why not pick a side 
you know yeah why do you continue right. to remain neutral so um but you know they weren't of strategic value so nobody really cared that much you know switzerland no but you know they could have supplied some manpower in the early days of the war but but germany would have definitely steamrolled them it's just a fact you know sure, they didn't have absolutely. much of a military but yeah so it was also self-preservation a little bit um mm -hmm. and then you know you've got this uh you know great fight uh, this fight scene between uh degaton's cronies and power girl and commander steel and <laughs> and it seems that you know during the fight a, a large part of um of Geneva is being destroyed, right? Like Commander Steel gets hur hurled mm -hmm. through a window of seemingly antiques, and uh, Power Girl at one point in time <laughs> destroys an old lady's house, uh, also Her filled home. with antiques, yeah. right? And she and the old lady mm -hmm. says, "My beautiful house, priceless antiques. You have to ruined my life." <laughs> it's me and a horrible <laughs> Swiss accent. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that happened when. Uh, Sorry, I said Alman. This is, in fact, them fighting Johnny Quick. Sorry, uh, Johnny let me, Quick. Let me amend yeah. that. The Power Girl uh, confronts him. He hurls her. He, he vibrates her <laughs> through. <laughs> not that way. Yeah, not another that way, way guys. <laughs> Sorry. Not another way. We've got our minds in the gutter, gutter here. <laughs> oh, damn. But um, and it and it seems that at one point in time, Commander Steel he hurls some debris at Degadon's soldiers, but it looks like he's just like throwing some dust at them or something, takes them out. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great panel. Um, you know, Firestorm ends up, uh, you know, uh, beating up Johnny Quick here by clamping him in a in a vice, right, Billy? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Johnny Quick's like, that's, yeah, that's a funny bit. That, that's a funny scene too. Yeah, they. Like you said, steel like pretty much takes them all out. But then <laughs> Firestorm says, "That's trouncing him, steel." But one of those creeps slipped upstairs, and one of them did get upstairs. But then you have Johnny Quick up there, and he says, "Get away from those controls, chump! I'm running the show now." He belts the guy. Yeah, why? And then I mean, obviously <laughs> he he wasn't wasn't concerned that the, there were, would be nuclear missiles being launched. He just punches out this guy because this guy's trying to you know what just protect the controls of the <laughs> nuclear missiles yeah. and then he beats he punches the guy and the guy falls on the launch button <laughs> wow great work there yeah. quick and knucklehead, then yeah. yeah knucklehead man and then firestorm <laughs> takes him out with this clamp that he creates the with clamp, his nuclear yeah. powers but the missiles That's launch yeah. yeah and then we've mm -hmm. got this great scene commander steel leaps on one missile power girl flies after another and firestorm they each deal with their own missile, right, Billy? So Commander Steel mm -hmm. just rips out what what with the steering mechanism, this this the steering controls, or 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 the I don't know what he rips yeah. out there, but it doesn't explode. That's the point, you know. <laughs> Power Girl does the yeah. same. She she rips the missile apart, and Firestorm he sort of uses his nuclear power to you know to negate the thrust of the missile and just you know explodes harmlessly without a nuclear explosion and then you know they show yeah. up at the white house as well gloating saying yeah we dealt with that those <laughs> missiles lickety split but they still have to rewrite time essentially right billy because they've got earth prime right. after all to save so the now that they've thwarted degaton's plans they need to uh get some eggheads on their side and they colonel turn sanders. out to be yeah colonel sanders right there <laughs> professor z kfz his chicken recipe. <laughs> that's that's right. And a guy who looks 
Asian American, Japanese American. You're, it's a wonder that F, FDR and, and the, the U.S. government hasn't got him in a camp yet. <laughs> Professor. Okay, this <laughs> well, is a. I shouldn't well, laugh at that. It's just pretty, his, pretty reprehensible his, what happened there. His profile. His profile actually looks a little bit like, you know, 1960s Stan Lee before he started wearing a toupee there a little bit. Oh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the profile there, He yeah. looks to me like Lee Van Cleef, <laughs> you know, Lee Van Cleef oh, yeah. from The Good, The Bad, and yeah. the, the Ugly. And from ugly, yeah. what he yeah. was also involved in a TV show with, with Ninja. I don't know. It was something about a ninja <laughs> later oh, on in his yeah, life. Yeah, in the 80s. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But he looks like Lee Van Cleef. <laughs> And then you know they, mm-hmm. uh, you know the, the all stars. It's actually just Zatanna, and uh, Earth Two, Green Lantern, and Firebrand. So uh, one member of each respective team, right, Billy? That's what's nice Correct. about these teams yeah. that 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 split up. Yeah, it's got a member from each team, and they, uh, Green Lantern and Zatanna and Firebrand, they approach these two eggheads, these scientists, and they say, "We need you since you're you know part of this time institute." Uh, this this time brain trust we need you to send us into the future but also into the parallel dimension of earth prime because we need to stop what what's going to happen there in 1962 at the cuban missile crisis when the crime syndicate will appear to appropriate those missiles right billy so uh, right. with the help of zatanna's magic and gl's powering they sort of uh, get this time ray going that that uh, mm-hmm. the scientists have been working on and then they're transported into Earth Prime's future, you know, into 1962, mm-hmm. which to us, of course, is the past. <laughs> and then they, yeah. they knock out some Cuban guards and they're just in time to see this rift opening, which is, of course, the crime mm-hmm. syndicate arriving at this missile site mm-hmm. in Cuba. So then we've got yeah. we cut to Superman and Power Girl and the rest of the superheroes that did not go into Earth Prime's future to to approach Degaton's uh, main lair, right, Billy? And where is this? This is at a future historical site, actually, right beneath the future site of the Pentagon. (laughs) The Pentagon, yeah. And it's funny, too. We didn't mention this yet, but Degaton, uh, his army of goons that he has, they are dressed exactly like him, except they all have red sunglasses on. They almost remind you like, uh, like Wonder Man. Like he had like those red sunglasses. Yeah. In Marvel yeah. there yeah, for a while, right. red sunglasses and then complete black uniform or almost like the, what was that television miniseries where those aliens look like regular people, but they were lizard people underneath? Yeah. Um, um, oh, damn. What was that? A v, is it v? v? V. Was it V? Yes. Yeah. V. V. The TV yeah, yeah. show V. Yeah. That's what they kind of remind you of with these, like all these uniforms, but every one of them has a red D on their chest for Degaton, of course. Do you know what they remind? <laughs> that's that's a good callback, Billy. But do you know what they remind me of? Militarized, militarized Andy Warhol clones. That's what they look like. <laughs> yeah. Their hairstyles, their glasses, oh, everything. My God, weird man. And then Degaton, not only has he had time with his time machine to do everything we've said so far, and uh, get his own personal army, militarize them. He also has uh, tanks, all sorts of things, and they all have the uh, D, the red D for Degaton on them as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He 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 took the time. <laughs> well, he's got time at his disposal, right? He could have taken as much time as he right. wanted with with his time, you know, traveling, you know, capabilities. But he, you know, made sure oh that they gosh. all looked the part. Definitely, they all looked the part. <laughs> 
Now, this yep. Degaton loves his military style regalia, even though he's got no history of ever being in the military. You know, so I don't right. know. It's just weird. But you know, then this is there's a great scene where they beat up all his goons and they apprehend Degaton, and Robot Man picks him up, mm-hmm. and you see this little man dangling from Robot Man's huge, gigantic uh-huh. arm, and he says, "Here is their master." And uh, Superman says, per Degaton, as if they should be mm-hmm. awestruck at this point in time. <laughs> no, that's that's not necessary, guys. You don't need to be awed by this little this little Napoleon wannabe. So, mm-hmm. Billy, then we've got Alman escaping through the tunnels. And this is great mm-hmm. because since Alman is sort of a, a version of Batman, an evil version of Batman, who takes him out? Uh, it's great Huntress. So, yeah, he's creeping around and he's thinking, I'm getting away with this. And Huntress is on to him. And uh, he's like, eh, who the blazes are you? And she said, my name's Huntress. Maybe you've heard of my father, the Batman. And he goes, little girl, you've just committed suicide. The Batman is one of the creeps who locked me up in limbo. And literally, he tries to shoot her with some kind of laser pistol. And she kicks the weapon right out of his hand and then kicks the bejesus out of him and knocks him completely out. And it's awesome. Yeah, she uses some jujitsu on his face there, right? Some sweet mm-hmm. chin music, oh, but yeah. with her jujitsu. Ju- 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's oh, great. man, that's that's fantastic. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, just to let the listeners know, we haven't been drinking. At least I haven't been drinking. That's not the reason I'm slurring <laughs> my words. <laughs> oh, we should, you know, mm-hmm. pour something sometime, Billy, to celebrate where we're, mm-hmm. you know, quite quite far yeah. in the run now you know past mm-hmm. way past all-star squadron 15 already so and, mm-hmm. and the year is not even halfway you know gone so um we'll get to that we'll celebrate down the line <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but believe absolutely. then we've got a great bit right after that we cut to the future on earth prime uh, 1962 in cuba where the crime syndicate show up and green lantern and firebrand and zatena take them out you know in no time flat Right, you've got mm-hmm. GL taking out Power Ring with this massive boxing glove, and you've got Zatanna, you know, making short work of Johnny Quick and Owlman, uh, mm-hmm. and then of course Green Lantern also takes out Ultraman and Superwoman, so he smashes Ultraman's invulnerable body against Superwoman, mm-hmm. um, and th- that's it for them, you know, and and it's explained by Ultraman in a quick bit of exposition there that he's so weak now. You know, because he hasn't been exposed to kryptonite in a while. <laughs> so that's the reason he falls so easily. Yeah, I mean, it's a good juxtaposition from the way this whole story started with, you know, the crime syndicate catching the JLA, you know. By surprise. By mm-hmm. surprise, yeah, and kicking the crap out of them really quick. And then here we are, the, the reverse of that, because, you know, these other heroes already have fought them and know their weaknesses and catch them by surprise i I like it quite a bit yeah no it's a it's a great scene it's like um you know it comes uh full circle and then uh you know just before it also um you know the most important part is is uh, stopping degaton from escaping because he's also uh in Mm -hmm. this time you know having allowed the crime syndicate to enter earth prime uh in 1962 he's there and he's running towards his time machine right Billy but Satana takes him out by sucking out well the oxygen from his lungs with a magic spell he passes out and so they essentially negate what happened uh, in the Earth Prime timeline the missiles were never stolen by the crime syndicate and Degaton and then suddenly 
time starts to reset itself, everything is being set right. And, you know, they disappear from Earth Prime, Zatanna, GL, mm-hmm. and, and Firebrand, and Degaton's cronies disappear from uh, Earth 2 uh, mm-hmm. in 1942. And then Superman and the Justice League and the All-Star Squadron, they all fade away. The All-Star Squadron yeah. are back in New York. They've just exited the taxi cab going towards the JSA headquarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Degaton yeah. is back in the lab with Professor Z lamenting the fact that he he dreamt he was ruler of the world and <laughs> professor z says again what does he say billy <laughs> stop mumbling degaton and wash these test tubes like a good fellow <laughs> oh that's brilliant that's brilliant and he's got no memory of what happened yet again and then you've mm-hmm. got the crime syndicate languishing in limbo again in their prison <laughs> not remembering this whole excavate either and uh mm-hmm. you know there's a great bit where Johnny Quick says, those JSA creeps and the JLA can't keep us in here forever. And L-Man say, can't they? Because we're in limbo, where time is meaningless. So how would we ever know if they did? <laughs> you know, so that's probably what the JSA and JLA are planning, you know, leaving them there forever. And then, you know, we've got the beginning commencing again, the beginning of the whole crossover where Superman and Zatanna and Firestorm and Hawkman and Aquaman are waiting on the JLA satellite. Uh, in mm-hmm. on Earth One, for the JSA to arrive for their annual get together, and then you know um, uh, lots of other heroes show up too. You've got Barry Allen, you've got you know Green Arrow, Red Tornado. They all mm-hmm. beam up to the elongated man. He's there. They beam up to the the JLA satellite to to meet up with the JSA, and then you've mm-hmm. got Firestorm moving in for the kill <laughs> oh <my laughs> with, with Power Girl, and Power Girl. Even though this guy is a horned horn dog she's responsive to him right she says like oh, oh yeah what what does she say there billy <laughs> cringeworthy well, after he said about you know he's been trying to get her alone and then she's like it's the weirdest thing i feel like you know we just escaped some tragedy and then he uh she says to him but even so put your arms around me firestorm i need some holding now what were you <laughs> now, what was that that you were saying about wanting to get me alone dot dot question mark need we say Jeez, this guy's cheat. Is she aware that he's cheating on his girlfriend Doreen? I mean, come on. He's also technically probably cheating on Firehawk. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> he might not have met her in this uh, at this time yet, but still, you know, possible. Mm-hmm. So, so in any way, need we say the end? <laughs> yeah. So great crossover, Billy. I'm sure. Yeah, you enjoyed oh, it as yeah. much as I did. I'm sure our listeners yeah. do. It is great. It's for me so far. And again, I haven't read anywhere near DC as you have and a lot of our uh, listeners. But for me so far, this is easily the most fun uh, crossover DC crossover I've ever read. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, the, the, the main reason why it's so much fun for me is because it features the All-Star Squadron as a bonus, mm-hmm. you know, uh, along with the JSA yeah. and the JLA, but also because it's got a great art from two different camps and fantastic covers you know so the Mm -hmm. previous jla jsa crossover was pretty good too you know Mm -hmm. um where they fought i think the the what the the secret society supervillains i think it was the ultra humanite and those guys that was pretty good old old george perry's art but this one is my favorite simply because of the all-star squadron and because of the crime syndicate who i'm i'm a fan of i'm a fan of that evil team of um you know yeah, I like those those analogs, evil analogs of the Justice League. 
Now, before we wrap up this issue, Billy, I uh, just want to mention something I neglected to talk about during our discussion of All-Star Squadron 15. Um, I just saw it in my notes here, so I quickly want to get get this out there for the listeners. Um, during uh, the flight towards uh, the missile silo where Superwoman is holed up, Aquaman, Liberty Bell, and Starman uh, head off, and then Aquaman leaps out of the bubble to do some undersea reconnoitering. And then Liberty Bell mentions to Starman that she's heard that the Earth 2 also has an Aquaman, but she's never had the chance to meet him. And uh, this is strange because eventually the Earth 2 Aquaman would show up in the pages of All-Star Squadron. I think it's All-Star Squadron number 31. Now, uh, Earth 2 Aquaman never had a who's who entry in the you know DC who's who series. Um, you know, sometimes there were two entries for, for instance, Superman from Earth uh, 2 and Superman from Earth 1. They both got entries and Batman as well. And so um, one of the Fire and Water Network guys, a man by the name of Zoom Yukinori, who sadly actually passed away um, two years ago, I think it was, he started, uh, because he's, he's a very good artist himself, he started drawing uh, these who's who entries of neglected characters that DC never put in the who's who um, series. And one of them was the Earth to Aquaman. Now, if you want to check out Zoom's art, it, they're amazing. All these who's who entries he did. Just Google Zoom Yukonori who's who entries. And uh, Zoom's name is spelled X-U-M-Y-U-K-I-N-O-R-I. So Zoom Yukonori. Um part of the fire and water network guys there's some pretty great who's who entries that he penciled um over the, the last couple of years before he he sadly passed away so have a look at that listeners and if you don't know about that already those are some pretty great entries so yeah aquaman and earth 2 it would have been interesting had he met the aquaman of earth 1 i think and then another thing i wanted to mention that which i also neglected is in the pages of all-star squadron uh, issue 15 at the at the end there is a DC special that shows up um, and it's a masters of the universe story and this is called uh, fate is the killer and it features some great art by Kurt Swan and I was a big masters of the universe fan back in the day so obviously I was I, I read this almost as much as I read the main story in the issue featuring the all-star squadron and this time around it's Superman that makes an appearance in Eternia and battle Skeletor and, and He-Man and Zodiac, Zodak and uh, Merman's involved, Beastman's over there. So some pretty great stuff in this issue. You, you got more than your money's worth if you bought this particular one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, great, great issue. Listeners, you, you got to let us know what you think about this. Now, Billy, this episode has run a little bit long. We're at two hours and 15 minutes already. So we're going to probably forego... Uh, our feedback this time around. We apologize for that, listeners, but we'll get to it. We've got some great, you know, emails and some great Twitter comments from from folks. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we're gonna head off quickly into Earth Prime Archive before we wrap this bad boy up, right, Billy? Now, Earth Prime mm-hmm. Archive is very short. The reason why I prepared this particular topic for for Earth Prime Archive, which I want to call Crisis Points in World War Two. Because after all, Billy, it seems that, you know, uh, according to the crossover we just read, Degaton's time machine was attracted to crisis points in time. 
moments where mm-hmm. where time could be affected to cause alternate timelines to to be born right this is technically yeah. the the theme behind this uh you know uh earth prime archive segment that i've prepared and it's the world war ii crisis points mm-hmm. or you could also call it turning points in world war ii now this is where it could have gone either way right Billy? now yeah. the, the the first uh thing uh, that I, that we have to mention is um when great britain and france declare war in 1939 mm-hmm. on germany now what what people historians uh, know but but you know the average layman might not know is that it might not have happened you know if they if they never declared war when hitler because hitler at, at that point in time he was kind of pushing his luck seeing how far he could go and everybody was against the war you know churchill was all for the war if if if, if hitler went further but you know yeah. um there was a doubt that the rest of his his uh cabinet would have supported him if he did declare war because everybody was vying for peace they did not want another war because it was so soon after world war one which was so terrifying um and every it was fresh in their memories so if that had not happened you know then hitler would have consolidated his power even further and it would have been much more difficult to unseat him from his from from his power base you know Mm -hmm. but um luckily it did happen war was declared but there was really a, a a a uh, a segment of of time there where it was very much up in the air where you know when he invaded Poland Britain might still not have declared war you know and, and then you know everybody was just too right. scared to enter into a battle with 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 him and cause another world war and then uh, another turning point in history was the battle of Britain you know believe this is when Germany was yeah. was uh, so powerful Britain was standing alone France had been uh, overtaken by the Germans. Um, now they were on an island which protected them, but they were hard pressed by the German Luftwaffe, who were relentlessly launching air raids and campaigns, you know, uh, across the strait. So you know, or across the the Channel there, and um, mm-hmm. you know, London was in trouble. You know, they had been bombed by 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 the Germans after they bombed Germany. And then it was yeah. like uh, no quarter given by the Luftwaffe, and they were just laying waste to these uh, British cities. And the oh, yeah. RAF, the Royal Air Force, did remarkably well for themselves. But they were uh, um, there were less of them, you know, than the Luftwaffe. So they really had to struggle. So it came down to I wouldn't say it all came down to luck, right, Billy? But essentially, that's what it was because the Battle of Britain, you know, was won by uh, the British where they successfully repulsed the German invasion. But it was a, a near thing. It was a very close thing. It could have gone either way. You know what I mean? So there was by mm-hmm. no means a, a clear victory from the outset. You know, there was some. they were sweating blood at one point in time there, the commanders were. So that's the, the second turning point of the war that, that you can identify. And then uh, another turning point of the war was the Battle of Moscow. You know, when... Um, Hitler started to invade the Soviet Union, which many people, you know, view as his greatest mistake. You know, he should have just remained true to the treaty he had with Stalin and waited a while. Um, Mm -hmm. But he invaded. And then he was, uh, because they were utilizing blitzkrieg tactics, he he was very sure that they could defeat Russia and enter Moscow, which they they got very close. They got, got right into Moscow at one point in time. Uh, and they wanted mm-hmm. to defeat uh, Russia before winter hits, 
You know, that's what they were gambling everything on. Because after mm-hmm. all, once, you know, winter approaches, you know, you've, you know, this is now the winter of 1941. You know, um, mm-hmm. uh, they, they invaded earlier that year, but they knew that once the, the winter hits, then they, it would be very hard for them to, to continue onwards. And that's what in fact happened. The Russians managed to stall them. But there was a point in time when they were uh, within sight of Moscow and they were almost ready to take it. But the, 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 the near suicidal resistance from the Russians, you know, obviously stalled their advance. But, you know, Billy, like, again, it could have gone either way. And then, of course, yeah. Billy, Pearl Harbor, you know, which we discussed on previous episodes, that's the the third turning point here that I could identify. If the U.S.'s uh, aircraft carriers were docked at Pearl Harbor at the time of the the attack, then it would have been the the war would definitely have been prolonged by at least two years, because without their aircraft characters uh, carriers, if they were bombed at that point in time in Pearl Harbor and they weren't out on maneuvers, um, then you know the the Japanese would have successfully delayed the American response in the Pacific. You know, mm-hmm. by at least two years. You know, so um, oh yeah, so uh, luck luck entered into the fray there, right? Yeah, Where the Americans sure. at least had their aircraft carriers unscathed in that you know attack, and then of course there's a couple of others, uh, you know, turning points as well, lesser known ones, Stalingrad and Kursk. You know, the cities in Russia there that were attacked, uh, huge losses on both sides. But there was a time when the Germans could have won. They didn't. You know, it was very much up to to uh, luck or to, uh, to, to bad luck on the part of the Germans. And then, you know, you had uh, another uh, uh, turning point where an admiral, a guy called Max Horton, he was appointed as the new commander of the Allied forces in the North Atlantic. And he was important, Billy, because he would not have been appointed. He, you know, there was, they, they didn't want to appoint him, but somehow he got the appointment. Uh, he was the man who successfully stifled the German submarine campaign because he, yeah. he employed tactics that no other commander had heretofore employed, which was using radar and depth charges to suss out German U-boats. So in fact, whereas the German U-boats had been the hunters up to that point in time, now they became the hunted, where you know this uh, Admiral Max Horton was uh, essentially clearing the Atlantic Ocean um, of German U-boats <clears throat> you know, with, with these new right. tactics that he introduced. But he would not have been appointed because of some political shenanigans, but then eventually he got the appointment and, and he proved to be a decisive you know, in this war against the submarines. And, you know, then, of course, D-Day, you know, D-Day, the eventual invasion of uh, Europe by the Allied forces uh, at Normandy. But, you know, uh, D-Day is a little bit... Oh, wait, there's one I forgot to mention, the Battle of Midway. But yeah, I completely uh, glossed over the Battle of Midway in June 1942. That was a decisive battle. It, It was such a stroke of luck for for the Americans there. Uh, if any of you have seen the movie Midway, that's a very accurate representation of what had happened. You know, the Japanese, they wanted to draw out the American forces uh, at Midway in a trap. It was essentially a trap devised by Admiral, um, uh, you know, Yamamoto, mm-hmm. uh, Isuroko Yamamoto. He, the, the mastermind behind all the Japanese uh, strategy in the South Pacific at that point in time, 
He wanted to draw out the, the U.S. aircraft carriers and their forces and destroy them in a trap. Uh, but it worked against them because there was cloud cover, there was fog. And so when the Japanese fighters launched to look for the U.S. aircraft carriers, they couldn't find them. And when the U.S. aircraft carriers launched their fighters, they couldn't find the Japanese. But then, you know, when the Japanese planes went to land to refuel, right, Billy, right at the moment as they were refueling on their aircraft carriers, some U.S. spotter planes spotted them. You know what I mean? And then proceeded. Oh, yeah. They called in their position. Bombers went, they, they lifted off from the aircraft carriers. They uh, diverged towards the, the Japanese aircraft carriers who now had all their fighters being refueled, you know, so and that's when they were bombed. So essentially, it was a, a massive stroke of luck that the Battle of Midway was won and that, that crippled the Japanese for the duration of the war, uh, at least right. their, their, air, their control of the air in uh, the Pacific and, of course, their presence on the waves. And so, you know, that's another, you know, crisis point in the war, a turning mm -hmm. point. Yeah, so um, basically that's it, you know. So lots of places where it could have gone either way, you know, but luckily it went our way. Yeah, for sure. So that's it for Earth Prime Archive. Um, I would uh, please uh, remind the listeners to please, you know, send in some feedback about this as well, not just the comic, if you have any um, interesting historical uh, facts that you're privy to that I might have glossed over or that I might not know. I'd also like to discuss that on the show, right, Billy? So if they, if the listeners mm -hmm. want, they can send that in as well. Um, mm -hmm. And then, Billy, uh, we'll we'll deal with our main feedback on the previous episode uh, during our next episode, right? So we apologize for that, listeners. Yeah, we'll 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 get through uh, the couple of emails we got and uh, everything from the annual number one, and then this one as well. We'll we'll fire through everything. Yeah, but if there are any listeners who are not aware of how they can contact us, Billy, where can they reach us? Yeah, so if you want to reach out, you can uh, email the show at aworldonfirepodcast at gmail.com or uh, to the Twitter account for the show, which is at allsquadron. And then, or you could reach out to me uh, at BillyD underscore Licious as well. And uh, where are you at? Oh, I'm at DarkLongbox on Twitter. We're also at, at IntoWeird which is mm -hmm. our other podcast that we do, Into the Weird, where we discuss Bronze Age mm -hmm. Marvel craziness. And uh, you can DM me there or uh, at Dark Longbox. I don't mind. And we can always feature your comments um, on the show as well, the, the comments mm -hmm. that we get from Twitter. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, listeners, I'm going to leave you with another send-off here, a quote from a, a famous uh, World War II era personality. And I hope that'll... Um, do for now but we'll be back in two weeks time right Billy with another ass cast <laughs> or should we say wolf cast <laughs> world on fire will be back so with that it's bye from me alright take care everybody cheerio so first of all let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. <laughs> <laughs>